This week's episode is once again brought to you by you, the listeners. Our ever-growing list of donors this week is the mysterious Mr. PYO, Gary and Mary Nurse, who for some reason want to promote Thatcher's Cloudy Apple Cider. So some free promotion for Thatcher's there, if you're listening, uh, DM me. Uh, 99 star Matt Nurse, Corey Cahill, Julian Parrin, Ione Laidler McBean, Deb Woods, Liam Almy, James Morris, Rondell Stabana, and Pavan Singh, and not forgetting the safest pair of hands in Burbage, Liam Phillips. If you would like a shout out on the podcast, you can donate to our crowdfunder. You can find the link on our Instagram at the99sRugby or on our website at www.the99sRugby.com. Don't forget to check out Yarder Collective for some artisan and alcohol free beverages. You get 5% off any order over £10 if you use a discount code 99rugby24. And you can find them at www.yardercollective.co.uk or there's a link on our website. Now here is this week's episode, a very special episode with our very first guest. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 99's Rugby Podcast. We're both in our pyjamas having a great bank holiday Monday morning. So for our listeners, possibly in other countries who don't know what that is, it's kind of like the bank who usually fuck everyone over, give us all a day off and we uh, yeah, have a Monday off work and possibly drink all day. It's kind of a mm. British tradition in many ways, which we are drinking now, but it's uh, as part of our course, a non-alcoholic beer. We're drinking the A Tale of Two Cities, not to be confused with A Tale of Two Kitties, the Garfield storybook, or A Tale of Two Cities, the Charles Dickens book, we believe it was. What a great it's Dickens. I'm not, I'm not very well read. Um, I'm more I'm more of a Garfield reader than a Dickens reader, I'm afraid. Um, and by Garfield reader, I mean I used to watch the cartoon when I was a kid. <laughs> No. listening i think is as good as reading in fact in many ways better but yeah it's a, a pale of two cities a hazy pale by electric bear and low tide brewing company kind of a, a collaboration dave but uh, i'm going to go in and give us a taste and see what we think oh mm, it's got a bit about it that's my initial response is that's refreshing mm. um it's very light both in colour and in sort of, uh, I don't think density is a word, but you know what I mean when I say that. Like it's, um, it's not like a heavy beer. Uh, it's not too fizzy. That's, that's that is, mm, that's very good. It tastes beery as well. Obviously, the first one we had, we said this, it wasn't. It was an okay drink, but it didn't taste like a beer. This one does taste like a pale ale, uh, a hazy ale, if you will. Um, that's very nice. Um, yeah, got a sort of little bit of bitterness on the end, like you expect from an ale. Um, but that's very, very drinkable. That's the kind of thing you would like that after some exercise or a bit of hot day in the sun, and you go, I really want to drink, and you drink that and go, mm, I'm refreshed. Yeah, it's definitely for me, definitely a more summer one. You would not have that in like November. I think it'd be too, it'd be too much when the weather's cold. You just need, need that, like you said, that refreshing kind of value to it. Got a lot of citrus on there, but it's nice, strong, wheaty flavour as well. There's a strong barley in there, I believe, um, which is giving it that kind of nice body, but uh, a nice citrus taste on the tongue as well. Yeah, it's, um... This is good for us. We can't cheat this week either. Usually it says on the can the kind of things you expect, which I appreciate because we can kind of, you get it anyway, but you can kind of lean on that a little bit and go, okay, yeah, that is what I'm tasting. The guys from uh, Electric Bear and Low Tide have not given us any information on this can whatsoever. They've gone for... A very edgy can with some pretty cool artwork on it. 
It is a very edgy cat. I like it. It's uh, got a, a woman, uh, rather edgy woman. She's got like shaved head with like a, a pink thing on top. And Dave, in the background, never, never nice assume, Dave. An industrial. Never assume the gender of the can person. Hey, right, you are. True. The can person, anyway, looks edgy. And there's a nice silhouette of an industrial backdrop um, of the city in the background. And according to the can, it's brewed in Bath. So that's not that industrial a city, really. But, you know, I'm not sure what the other city is. Um, we'll have to do our, probably should have done some research beforehand, but, you know. We're here. For, we're about the taste, really. We're not about the story behind the beer, unless it's a particularly interesting story. Which, ironically, in this case, it probably is an interesting story. But you never mind. You know, <laughs> we've, got, we've got more important things to talk about. Um, yeah. Quick shout out to our guys at Functional. Uh, after we reviewed theirs last week, we gave them a message saying how much we enjoyed it, and they bought back to us and mentioned, uh, I believe, about some sort of discount code upcoming. So keep your eye out on the social media and website because there might be some some more interesting non-alcoholic beer discounts for our friends and listeners who want to enjoy that um, obviously so we need yes. to rate the beer my arbitrary thumbs up um yeah i'm gonna give it a for me an 8.5 i like it it's not bad it does taste like a beer but i just don't enjoy it as much i think the functional has set the benchmark at the moment and so now i'm gonna to have to rate everything against that which is kind of a bit unfair on the other ones because you know not all beers are created equal but uh I think, um, yeah, an 8.5 for me. So it's, it's definitely not bad at all. It tastes very beery. It's got a good flavour to it. I'm not a huge, strong citrus fan. So, um, and I think it's, I would enjoy it more maybe if it was really hot out. It's been a bit of a shit week weather-wise here. Yeah, I mean, as much as it is holiday, May, May Day, normally, traditionally, it's a picnic sort of bank holiday, sunny out, but it is uh, decidedly overcast out. So it's not really the, the beer of the day. I, but it is a tasty beer. I think did I go eight thumbs up last week for functional? Let's just say Please, it so we'll go with a seven thumbs up this week. It's very tasty. Um I would happily have it. If this was like you say, you're at a barbecue or something, this would be ideal, I think. Or mm. after some exercise. Maybe after a, a, a hard game of rugby sevens in the sun. Um it would be quite tasty. But yeah, a good beer. I think functional just edges it. Mm. One, to, um, one to watch one to watch for sure the uh, yeah. Pale of Two Seas perhaps maybe if Electric Bear and Low Tide uh, keep collaborating we might hear some more might see some more so I look forward to, to seeing them possibly an IPA might be a little bit more at my street that is my favourite but uh, mm-hmm. anyway we, we digress Dave yeah. tell me um, about your week buddy what's been going on my week this week what have I done this week um, I I hurt my thumb playing football um, so unfortunately couldn't go to the gym much this week I was in goal. Someone spooned a shot. I dived down to get to it, but then the shot like span away from me. So as I put my hands down to spring myself back up, bent my thumb back. Thought for a second I like properly knackered it, but it has loosened off now. But that was a shame. Was uh, the goal scored though, or did you absolutely say absolutely not? No, I think I, I. To be fair, we I've only let in the one, which is impressive for me because I'm normally garbage in goal. But there we go. Um, I had an impressive effort at the other end, literally last kick of the game. I think we lost like 7-2, but it was like 4-2 up until like three minutes ago. Um, and I carried the ball out of midfield like a prime Maldini, uh, shaped to shoot. And it, I think it, it went for a throw-in, but it was the last kick of the game. It was full time. So my blushes were slightly spared. It was possibly the worst connection I've ever made. <laughs> that was... That was um, 
bittersweet and mostly bitter because we lost and I hurt, I hurt myself and embarrassed myself. Um, other than that, though, it's been a pretty good week. We obviously, this podcast, our first ever guest episode, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. That went better than I thought it might. I was nervous before recording. It actually went really well. Um, yeah. And obviously, bank holiday weekend, so I'm enjoying that by being in my pyjamas now and eating pancakes and drinking beer at 10 in the morning whilst recording a podcast. So. <laughs> Sounds perfect, man. Yeah, no, really exciting. So, yeah, that, that's what today's episode is. So later on, you will get a, a lovely seamless transition, which Dave is famous for doing, uh, straight into our guest, uh our guest Ordice, uh, you can find him on Instagram. I know he mentions it in there, but just uh, check him out. I'll tell you now. Uh, Am.culture on Instagram. He's a he's a kind of a friend acquaintance of ours from back in the day when we were playing for for John Cleveland College. He played for London Oratory School. We used to play each other every season. We'd stay with them, or they'd stay with us for the weekend and stuff like that. And he stayed with me when we were in Upper Sixth, and uh, you know stayed briefly in touch, friends on Facebook and that. But then through this, we've we've sort of reconnected a bit more and. Yeah, he's our first guest on the show, so pretty exciting. So hope everyone enjoys that. Um, my week's been pretty good as well, actually. It's been a really good week overall, I think, you know, despite it being a bit grim out. Um, the sort of rain has done my, my little herb garden outside the world of good. Give them some nice, uh, some nice feed. They're growing well. So hopefully we'll have some good rosemary and some, I think they're called labias flowers uh, flowering when the sun comes back out. So that's exciting, Dave. Getting uh, that's very, very domesticated. <laughs> that's the kind of, that's what the, the listeners are after. Some good horticulture. Yeah, the sideshow to the rugby. People, people think, you know, people think, you know, I'm just there, just a hard guy, you know. I've been soft at heart, Dad. Yeah, there is a softer side to you, tending to your garden, <laughs> to your flowers. You, uh, yeah, then others. You've been known to read bedtime stories to sick children as well. <laughs> that is, that's a lie. I would do that. I'm not adverse to it, but I don't think that's that's happened yet. Possibly soon, who knows? But, um, yeah, no, no, a really good week overall, to be honest, mate. You know, I uh, had some... Had a really good conversation on Thursday, um, Thursday morning, which was really interesting for me. A lot of development, but a PDP stuff, which was pretty cool for me. Are you allowed uh, to say who that conversation was with? Yeah, yeah. I got a chance to sit down with uh, with Rob Baxter, DOR for Exeter Chiefs, which for me is just, you know, a very, very valuable, like almost invaluable experience, really. Talking a bit of rugby, you know, got a bit of advice from him. So that was really very useful for me, to be honest. Changed the way how I thought about a few things, give me some really good ideas and sort of, you know, you get that reaff- reaffirmation sometimes for how you're approaching things in terms of your career overall. You know, it was really good for him to sort of give me an outline of, of sort of how he's got to where he's got. And, you know, you see some parallels and it helps you relax a little bit. You go, OK, right, I'm doing the right kind of thing. I think when you're in your 20s, like especially when you hit like your mid 20s, if you're not like in a big position or something like that, you panic because you see other people doing well. You know, and you think, shit, I'm, you know, oh God, I'm miles away from where I want to be. But I think these kind of long careers and these ones where you want to chase some like a really high level like that, it, it does take a long time. Like you don't mm-hmm. come out of uni with a degree and get the England job. It doesn't work like that. Whereas other careers perhaps do a little bit more. So you've got to build up a bit. So I'm, you know, confident of that, which was really good for me. And then, yeah, the weekend was it's been really good. Like you said, bank holiday weekend. And yesterday, the kids were out playing rugby again, which was phenomenal. It was absolutely brilliant uh, down the club. Uh, a lot of our sort of younger teams, so we, we played uh, Sidmouth. Um, so half of our teams went over to Sidmouth to play, half of them stayed here. So some of the younger age groups were playing here. So under 12s, back all the way down to under 7s were playing. You know, so we had tag, we had sort of touch, and then we had first sort of couple of years of contact. So, you know, 10s, 11s, 12s, you know, their first bit of tackling and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, wow, really thoroughly enjoyable, um, you know, day of rugby. Really, really good to get out in the morning in a bit of sun see all that happening you know the the level of play actually was really quite good you know a lot of people sometimes think 
you know, kids sports or you know, like the American sport, peewee sports, I imagine it to be pretty bad. But I was really, you know, impressed actually. I enjoyed that more than watching Prem rugby at the moment, to be fair, like in a way. Prem's been good, but I just enjoyed really seeing the kids out there having a good time. So big shout out to all the junior players at Honiton Rugby Club and Sidmouth Rugby Club as well for a great days of rugby. And also um, shout out to all the junior teams and senior teams if you've been playing this weekend. Great on you for getting back out there. Congratulations and uh, hope it went well for everyone. I have two questions about your week then. Um, one, we- did was the uh, the junior rugby, was there passing involved? My remembrance... That's not the word, but my uh, my recollection of junior rugby was that no one ever passed. You just pick the ball up and you run at, directly at defenders. Normally, get tackled, and it's a bit of a shit show. Was, was there was a slick hands on show? Yeah, there's there's always a few kids who have got like a slightly better level of athleticism than anyone else. You know, the coordination's there already, so you know they're sidestepping and running around everyone, um, and you see that a little bit. But to be honest, one thing that I've been really impressed with here at Honiton, one thing I noticed with the senior guys when I first sort of came in, we just first few sessions we just played and I just sort of watched and picked up some things that the continuity and offloading game has been really really good you can see there's a natural ability for it and watching our junior teams you can see it's something throughout the whole club the continuity is really good like it, it's you know a lot of rook avoidance so a lot of like popping off the floor you know little sunny bills here and there which is I love seeing that because the little kids have got such tiny hands but they're still like able to pop the little size free out the back door and stuff like that so so no, actually, it was pretty good. Some pretty good handling uh, yeah. all in. The East Devon way, is it then? Just offloads here, everywhere. Yeah, yeah so sort of like when you think of exciting rugby, it's Fiji at the top, East Devon at a close second. <laughs> I, I mean, you said it, not me. <laughs> and my second question is: um, it's a two-parter. Is Rob Baxter going to give lots of money, and is he is he going to send any players on loan for the summer months? Yeah. <laughs> We did, we did, to be fair, we didn't discuss any investment in the 99s, but we've got some exciting stuff, which I know we'll talk about after we get off the air, the air as it is. We'll call it that. We'll make ourselves look really cool. Um, some, some cool things are in the pipeline, hopefully sponsorship-wise. But uh, I've, I've heard rumours that uh, that if some of the guys don't get picked for the Lions, that they're going to play for the 99s. That's all I'm saying. That's what I've heard. In fact, I think <laughs> so, uh, it was a bit Ben Young's officially ruled himself out of the Lions tour. Uh, Rumour has it he is starting for the 99s. Uh, on, yeah. on the 10th of July so well I think playing for the 99s is more prestigious than a Lions cap I mean I just you know that's my opinion and to be fair <laughs> so, there's been several hundred people put on an, uh, a Lions jersey and zero people have put on a 99s jersey it's an exclusive club yeah it's an so, exciting week actually for the 99s we get, we've got our squad pretty much assembled and we're doing kit orders today tomorrow we'll be getting the guys in a, a group chat sending out the, uh, the sizings and asking lads to measure themselves up and uh, yeah give us their sizings for, for shirts and other goodies but uh, yeah enough about my week let's talk about the rugby um, yeah. meander into that headlines wise I know obviously yeah you mentioned first off there um, really sad news this week we'll get the sad out of the way and then we'll, hopefully it'll be all you know bright and glorious from there obviously uh, a guy closer to to our rugby hearts um, Bledon Jones unfortunately passing away you know, relatively young age is quite a surprise, really. Seems quite sudden all in. Um, I know the Tigers guys honoured him on Friday night and the rugby community at large honoured him. But yeah, obviously always when someone dies, it's always sad, but especially someone in rugby for us because it's, you know, that bit closer to us uh, and what we do. But really sad to, to hear that, really. Obviously, a Leicester sort of through and through, despite being Welsh. Um, you have moved, I think, 300 odd games for the Tigers first team, which in yeah. any era is very impressive. 
I think back then as well, obviously, it was just completely amateur. He moved over to Leicester to be a school teacher. Um, and had say 300 games for Tigers is very, very impressive. Um, and then I think for where a lot of people, certainly our age, um, will know him from being sort of he's Leicester Radio Leicester's voice of rugby commentated on Tigers, you know, every week he's been to every uh home and away game that Tigers have pretty much ever played. Um, and really was, I guess, the voice of rugby and and for my money, he is he's one of the best broadcasters I've ever ever listened to. It's almost a shame that he was kind of confined to Radio Leicester because he's got quite that classic sort of sing-song Welsh voice. Um a good accent, I think, for being um yeah, so for broadcasting. He's the kind of guy I think who would have been really good on TV, but however he didn't want that chance or didn't take that chance or whatever, I don't know. Um but I mean locally anyway, regarded definitely is something of a legend and um yeah it's uh, it's sad news um Fosmo, i don't think he retired at all as well i think i'm not sure if he was still he, he should have, uh, yeah he should have been there this weekend and i think they had his his place set up for him still on friday night so you know you get a little yeah. bit emotional actually watching that it on is, friday night yeah obviously tigers pull it out of the bag after a bit of a slow start um a bit of a commemoration for him but yeah it, a real real loss i think for for Leicester Tigers fans and and for rugby as a whole and broadcasting yeah, as a whole, so yeah, I know that you were a head teacher of Blevin, so probably wouldn't approve of drinking beer at half ten on a Monday morning. But <laughs> this, this one's for you. <laughs> Raise a glass. Have a pull of the uh, paler two cities. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. growing on me. I'm enjoying it more as we go along. Actually, it's it's tasty. It goes well with these pancakes I'm eating. Yeah, but oh, it's kind of a lemon sort of sort of jazz, isn't it? You know, but uh, yeah, I know you mentioned uh, Leicester Tigers there in terms of how they played. So yeah, just quickly sort of go over the European Cup semis. Some pretty good games. I mean, that game on Friday night was, you know, in some in some ways close to I'd say probably the game of the weekend um, in terms of those games because yeah, Tigers coming from seventeen six down at half time. I was watching the game and my friend uh, Josh Bingham, big shout out to Josh Bingham, former. Former Ulster, Ulster Academy Island in the 20s guy. He was giving it all that over the group chat that we have for the boys back at from Derby Uni, giving it the old stick, saying, Woodsy, you're getting bullied and all that. But uh, our boys pulled it back out of the bag. I mean, Jasper Vase yet again, an absolute animal on the back row. Number eight, I think we've got to be careful uh, as, you know, a little bit of Tiger's side eye in here that he doesn't get uh, snapped up by someone else. We've got to make sure they tie him down to a long-term contract because... Steve Borthwick, he's going to be key to your plans, I think, because he's he's Tigers haven't had any go forward. Um, and they had Callum Afonia the last couple of years putting a lot of carries from number eight, and he did get us that kind of gain line success. But Jesper Vase gets over the gain line, I think, every time he carries the ball or takes two defenders, three defenders out of play. So it's kind of like what we lost in Manu, we've kind of gained in him a little bit. I think he's kind of what Tigers have lacked a little bit since uh I guess Waldron really uh mm. in terms of that big carrying forward. Um obviously Calamaphony did I think Calamaphony would be very good in this Tigers team now. Unfortunately for him he was sort yeah. of in a weaker Tigers team. Because I think I always rated him as a very, very good player, but probably not um having the best team around him. But yeah, that's something the Tigers have missed is that that go forward because they've been for what about Good five years at this point, just almost too too easy to defend. No real genuine like 
threats and like their big carriers, the likes of really someone like Ellis Genja is a very good player, but you don't want your prop to be your like main like destructive ball carrier. I know they had Greg Bateman, who also had a had a good run in him uh, when he was at Tigers, but again, a prop. <laughs> you know, you want you want your back rowers, those slightly more athletic, slightly more mobile guys, be the ones who are making those runs. So mm. he's been almost one of the. Uh, like the shining lights of this Tigers team and that sort of recovery they're starting to make. Yeah, and Tigers are going to face Montpellier in the final. Um, Montpellier beating Bath 19-10 at the, uh, at the rack. Pretty, much more sort of Titanic game. I think Tigers and also was a real shootout kind of game, which Tigers really got back in control of. And I think Ulster maybe just lost that physical battle a little bit. But I think... Bath, from what I understand, I didn't watch the game fully, but from what I've seen and what I've understood of uh, other people talking that, they just really struggled in terms of just their set-piece capitulated, really struggled with their line-out. And, and obviously, as you know, as well as I, if you don't have a platform, you're always going to struggle to win any game. Um, you know, they went in 16-10 down at half-time, 19-10 is the final score. So really not as intense a game in, in the regard of sort of lots of scoring, but uh, more intense, I think, in terms of a little bit more of a, a quote-unquote test match, which... Uh, yeah, they've just struggled to come out on the right side of. And I mean, this Montpellier team is actually very good. I mean, just looking through their team sheet from from Saturday, uh, Boutier, um, Vonson, Rates, Lazowski playing fly half, which is interesting to see with Andre Pollard coming off the bench on 58 minutes. So, you know, shout out to him coming back because I know he'd had ACL problems. So that's great for him to do. And I mean, when you can bring Kobus Reinach off the bench, you know you're in a really good position, I think. So... Mm-hmm. I think for Tigers, that's going to be a really interesting game. We said the other day this Ulster game would be a test of where Tigers were at overall if they were making that progress. And I think now Montpellier will be sort of a crowning moment if they can win that and win some silverware. It's sort of, they're not back. They're not sort of, you know, back and firing the best team in the country, but they'll be back in terms of, you know, back in and around that kind of conversation of playoffs regularly and stuff like that, I think. Yeah, I think that kind of, just that experience of winning that big game, that you know, a European semi-final. I know that okay, the Challenge Cup is not the, um, you know, the, the the big cheese as it were, but they've had to come through these knockout rounds. Which are actually, I'm quite a fan of this round of 16. I initially thought it was kind of stupid. Um, I think there's probably a better way of qualifying for it. But these extra knockout rounds, I think when it's do or die, you can get better games. But you know, the Tigers are one of the most um, high-scoring teams in this in in the knockout rounds, which is not something you'd expect from what we've seen from Tigers the last few years. Um, so they've hit 30 plus every game. Um, and that experience, that big game experience of winning these knockout games, you wouldn't say that was Tigers strong to these last few years and over that decline. So I say Montpellier, very strong. You expect that from a French team, really strength in depth, but I think that would be interesting sort of, I guess, excuse me, choking on pancakes, um, that interesting sort of battle of a um, a strong sort of international-laden team in Montpellier and then that sort of young up-and-coming um, squad that Tigers have kind of got together now. Plus, they're going to obviously, end of May, they're going to have their, their internationals back. Um, so I think that would be a really good game. And at Twickenham as well, so kind of a home advantage in a way. Um, yeah. Twickenham hosted both the finals was interesting. That that's bounced about a lot. And it was going to be Spurs, I believe, and then it was going to be somewhere else. But now we're going to have at Twickenham. Obviously, 
just quickly looking at the Champions Cup, the Heineken Cup final, that's going to be Toulouse playing against uh, La Rochelle. So an all-French encounter at Twickenham <laughs> with no French fans probably being able to attend because of uh, COVID regulations at that point won't allow international travel. Kind of a bit of a, a deflatory thing, but I think, you know, everyone's sort of saying it should be in France because it's two French teams. I think, you know, but are they are they in a position that fans are back in? I think I've heard they are because I saw La Rochelle fans were allowed in at the weekend for their game against Leinster. So it's just one of them, really, isn't it? It's, it's like, it's at Twickenham. It is what it is. It's hopefully something for maybe the British fans to attend. I've heard around 10, 15,000 will be allowed in attendance. Um, a lot of tickets yeah. going for Tigers fans, actually. I've seen on, on Twitter and stuff, so you never know. But, uh, I mean, but yeah, you, I, I do you watch... hope to see fans there. I do think that, because I think there hasn't been those necessarily those restrictions in France. I think they've had fans at a lot of games. Only a small amount of fans, but they have had fans at sporting events. Um. So I think they had some they have them in the Champions League as well for, for Paris Saint-Germain playing. Um, but I'm pretty sure I've seen French sport having having fans there. Um, I almost think because it was meant to be, it was Marseille, wasn't it? It was meant to be this year, mm. the finals. Yeah. Uh, part of me thinks originally it should be there again, but maybe they put it there next year when it hopefully then it's going to be a full house. Um, because the Stade Velodrome is a fantastic stadium, just mm. as architecture goes. Um it will, I mean, I, I imagine however many tickets are on sale, it will be sold out if it's 20,000 or whatever can go or 15,000 just because no one's been able to go and watch games of rugby for so long. Um, hopefully, yeah, good ties contingent will be there for their game at least. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't watch the Heineken Cup games, but Toulouse beat Bordeaux 21-9. No major surprises there. So DuPont among the tries again and Untermat kicking his goals. It just seems like, you know, a classic kind of French game. Probably not the, the cleanest kind of game from what I've understood, but they just sort of, you know, edged it out and they've won, got to the finals. But really, the real talking one from the Heineken Cup is La Rochelle beating Leinster. I mean, that's just on face value is um, a real big achievement and a bit of a shock. But when you sort of look at that game and, and from what I've read and understood from it is, you know, La Rochelle really taking Leinster to the cleaner in certain facets of the games. So, uh, certain facets of the game, sorry, not the games. It's a one-off in it. Um, yeah, they really took them to the cleaners in terms of, again, that kind of what I spoke about with La Rochelle before, that ability for offloading in the tight. Like you'll see La Rochelle pick and go and then out of nowhere, there'll be a line break. It's because they're picking and going from a wide channel to maybe get... A lot of teams will play off the touchline and carry in to get speed back in the middle. But what they seem to do is they pick and go, barge into that sort of second, third defender who aren't going to have the line speed that the 4 4 fifth defender out have got, which allows for a more dominant collision for you as the attacker. And they're getting these little lifts in. And if you make a line break, you know this, around the rook, that's a real bad position. Outside line breaks are, are more easy to defend overall. But if you break around the rook in that sort of two, three metre space on either side, you're away because it's a straight run to the try line in many respects. Mm. <clears throat> I've said for a little while, and I've, I've said this to you, and we've had just conversations around rugby long before we even considered having a podcast about how I think that an offload game, like a well-coached, planned offload game, not just like hair and scaring bullshit, um, that some clubs... More, more like an amateur, but we'll just throw it around aimlessly and sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. Like when you really plan for it, and like you say, that targeting those areas to go and do it can be really successful when the players are you know, coached to expect it. They're going into those contacts, looking to get it away. Um, and La Rochelle have kind of proved my point. Um, I imagine they must have had a spy 
listen to me um, <laughs> to to take this idea. But I think yeah, it's good to see something a bit different. Obviously, a smaller smaller club playing sort of a different way to everyone else in an exciting way, and it paying off. So, I mean that that team La Rochelle have got as well as you know. I know we mentioned before the uh, Montpellier team. I mean these French teams are so stacked. I mean. Uh, Brice Doulan, Dylan Lade, Dumaru, Lavani Bottia, Raymond Rule on the wing, E. Higher West, Kerbalo. I mean, that for a back line is bloody good. And yeah. um, it seems like they've been able to bring it together now. I think the issue a lot of the times when you bring these kind of superstar Galacticos type kind of teams together is it hasn't worked in rugby because it's, it's a lot more to rugby than just bringing good players together. There's a lot of teamwork required because mm-hmm. I think it's very hard for one player to change a team. So when you bring a lot of really good players together, you've got to find balance. And I think Yamanagara uh, seems to have done that, really. Yeah, I mean, I think with uh, certainly the French clubs, obviously, traditionally have got that almost like the the all-black um, kind of rejects, I guess. It's a lot of those super rugby guys who aren't going to play all-blacks or wallabies will go to France for a payday, I guess. And um, so they go there, maybe not always with the, I guess best of motivation really I think they're probably they're there they're gonna it's a pretty by all accounts relatively relaxed approach in a lot of the French teams uh, they don't take it all too seriously and I think maybe they go there and kind of don't necessarily apply themselves as much as they would if they were chasing uh, you know like a, an international jersey but I think you know La Rochelle have kind of got it got it right they think maybe it's playing that exciting, fun style of play that those guys want to go out there and play. Or maybe just Rono Gar is a fantastic leader of men. Who knows? Um, but definitely... He's, he's done well with his coaching. Yeah, he's yeah. done well with his coaching. He's been a real sort of nomadic kind of guy. He's been around. He did some time in, in New Zealand and such. So more power to him. I mean, two really interesting finals. I think, you know, we can't pick too much yet because I think there's a couple of rounds of Prem and a couple of rounds of top 14 to happen. But obviously the bookies will probably be going for to lose to win the Heineken Cup. But I think Tigers and Montpellier at the moment, you can't really pick because Montpellier have really struggled in the top 14 as well this season. So it, that, that mm. one's really tough to call. So I guess if you were the, the bookies, are probably going to favour uh, favour Leicester slightly maybe just because yeah. of the fact they've just I dismantled mean, I know and... it's uh, a couple of years ago now, but it was the last time Tigers were in the full Champions Cup. They absolutely dismantled Montpellier at home. It was They ran through them like butter. It was like, 50 odd points they scored probably mm. two different teams then but you know is it French teams are not travelling well does it apply to a final <laughs> I guess we'll see um, obviously heart, heart for that one says says Tigers uh, head is fairly undecided like you say it, it is close to call and then the final I think like, I mean I've said before it's nice to see Toulouse back on top of obviously mm. a traditional powerhouse um, I wouldn't begrudge them the win, but definitely I think the heart says La Rochelle for that one as well. You want to see a bit of an underdog and just an exciting sort of brand of rugby. You want to see it come out on top. Yeah. Speaking about France then, sort of next bit of bit of news, bit of main headline this week. Lights out in France for England women's game. Um, it was it was a good game up to that point. I've seen uh, bits of it because obviously I was watching Tigers this week. So on the Friday night, both kicked up at the same time, unfortunately. So I was just catching bits and pieces. I was sort of turning my head across to see what was going on. But um, yeah, it appears uh, the lights have gone out after I think 58 odd minutes in the game. So the result has stood at England 17, France 15. So England had literally just nudged their, he- their heads across, I think, with a penalty kick. 
they were 15 14 down at half time so yeah but a bit of a shame really but anticlimactic after last week's titanic battle but uh England win again, I guess is the headline we can take. Yeah, it, unfortunately as well, because obviously 17-15, that's a game that's brewing along quite nicely. I think what we got last week, obviously in the Six Nations final, I think was um, kind of huff and puff and not quite blowing the house down, if you will. Whereas I think this this week, getting over the lines, he's scoring points with um, 20 minutes to go. Potential for another couple more tries there. And so it's a shame for it to get cut short um, under, uh, well, not dubious circumstances. I don't think anybody flicked the switch, but um, maybe, who knows? <laughs> the England's coaching staff, well, I think we were aired and uh, sabotaged the fuse box. I don't know. but um, Well, we've heard about that before, haven't we, in sports, like in, in other countries where the lights have turned out? Because in a lot of sports, if, if the lights go out before a certain time, the game has to be replayed. But obviously with England's game having gone over 60 minutes, I think um, it, it counts. Yeah, 62 minutes it was it was called off at. So the, the result stands after 60 minutes in rugby. But I've heard of stories from other people who work in sports that uh, teams have been losing heavily enough that they're not going to win. And they uh, purposefully make the lights go out or something like that so that the game has to be replayed. I've, um, I've heard stories of, of match-fixing scandals where... They get the to a certain point, the result will be there, and some uh, some criminal ne'er do wells would sabotage the floodlights to make sure the game was abandoned and the result stands that would get them the monies. Um, I'm sure that's not gone ahead. I don't think betting on women's rugby is, is a big market. Who knows? Um, probably not. So I think it's just unfortunate. Um, probably, for, I, mean, I mean, the players will be annoyed, especially imagine the French players because they'll be you know, in a tight game. Um, yeah. Yeah, probably reckon that obviously both as well won anyway, but yeah, it's a shame to have it cut a quarter of the game sort of cut off the end. Um, but again, it, it, an exciting test match, which is what women's rugby needs. Um, a shame it wasn't on the main programming again on the iPlayer, but we've had that rant before, no need to have it again. Um, yeah, yeah. um, good. Unfortunate for them, but a good game up to that point, anyway. Yeah, Lions squads announced this week. I mean, we're not too concerned to go into naming our teams and stuff like that, but I guess just, you know, it's an exciting time. Like you said before, Ben Young's unfortunately ruled himself out, which is a shame because that's the last two tours for him now that that's been the case, which is a real shame. But uh, just really quickly, give me a a bolter or someone that you think is going to be a shocker mission, maybe, and we'll move on. Um, I don't know, really. I think we've, you can, everybody, I think, in the rugby world has, has pretty much had this discussion several times. I think, like you say, is anyone who's maybe, I think some of the England players could probably justifiably miss out. Um, I mean, guys have been on, on the last tour who aren't going to make it, some of the likes of Elliot Daly or Anthony Watson. I don't I think you could probably say they're not going, and that's probably fair enough. Um, I don't know if they're three shock omissions. I think it's, I don't think there's anything that mad. Um, I expect people maybe less likely over all recent years, you wouldn't expect them to go like the Scottish batter. I think Hamish Watson's likely to go. Um, I'd pick Darcy Graham if I was involved away in a good Six Nations. A couple more extra Scottish players. Traditionally, it's been 
one, <laughs> two maybe. If there's a couple of good Scottish players, I think there'll be a bit more of a stronger Scottish contingent in this year's squad. Okay, well, not not so much a shocking. I don't think don't think too much of like a, a bolter or a shocking one thing because I think he's played really well and I think he played pretty well again at, at the weekend. Did all right. Uh, would be uh, your man Hugo Keenan. I think uh, I think he's well in with a shout of going. Um, fullbacks a position at the moment across the British Isles. We're not not massively stacked. We've got good guys, but in terms of no one's really put their foot forward of being the out and out. If for me for start of lines, a lot of people pick Hog. But I don't think his consistency's been there um, too much. I've seen him, you know, play for Exeter and stuff. I think he's had moments where his consistency's been lacking. His decision making's not been as sharp as it could be. So I think that might be in a test series as well. That's so important to be a full hundred percenter. You know, yes, he does things that are out of this world. But I'd rather, you know, well, that's the question: is that do you rather someone who's not quite out of this world but never makes any sort of glaring errors? So. I think Hugo Keenan on value will be we pick for the squad, uh, and if he plays well, could even be an outside shout for for a test spot. I think so. That'd be a big call. I think dropping Hog for the test series because I think for many people with money, he's your absolute nailed on pick at, at fullback. So <clears throat> that would that would be a turn up for the books, I think. But then, I mean, we've seen Warren Gatlin in the past generally will rely on Welsh players when he needs to. So I imagine Liam Williams might well get the start before maybe Hugo Keenan would, if, mm-hmm. if it's not going to be hard at 15. Yeah, but um, well, interesting to see anyway. Thursday will be will be interesting. Apparently 50 guys got letters, so we'll see what they work down to. I suppose it's like a preliminary squad, and we and they play. always do this, yeah. And then you always tend to unfortunately lose one or two guys. I should say it's early, it's May, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, remember Dylan Hartley was was picked, and then he missed out um, after he got sent off for calling Wayne Barnes a a fucking cheat or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, so he missed out because that. So in the prem final, so so yeah, that that'll be there. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, a little bit of kind of Lions spin-off news, I guess, is unfortunately. Ireland's tour to Fiji has been called off due to COVID concerns. That was kind of going to be their like their tour as a country alongside the Lions. Um, you know, that's a real, real shame. And Andy Farrell this week said that he's incredibly disappointed. Uh, he said it would have been a really tough rugby challenge against an excellent Fijian side. Uh, and, and yeah, I think he hit the nail on the head saying it'd be an opportunity to develop some guys. So, <clears throat> excuse me, really, uh, yeah, really disappointing for rugby fans all over, to be honest. But you know, um, Fiji's gone undergone some lockdown measures at the moment, spread the rise of COVID, which is happening out there at the moment. Um, yeah, uh, apparently the IRFU are talking to other nations about potentially uh, having a uh, alternative tour or test series um, in that July window when the Lions are playing. So, yeah, I mean, not too much more to read into with that, I guess. Just a real shame more than anything that Fiji's yeah. going to miss out on a Tier 1 Nation tour. That is a shame because we have said we'd like to see teams going to play there and actually go and play there. We've seen teams will go and they'll play a series and they might play them in New Zealand. I think it might be in 2013 Lions Tour. I think Scotland went to South Africa and they had like a four-way little tournament. I think it was South Africa, Samoa, Scotland and Italy played and like a summer tournament thing. Um, and that's kind of when teams have played the Island Nations and maybe a bit more of the Tier 2 teams. It's been mm. like a bit of a sideshow or it's not been there so for them to host it it is a shame it's been called off obvious the concerns are, are valid it's not like it's just they're screwing them over again um hopefully you know they, they rearrange the tour and say you know what next year we say we're going to fiji next year we go to fiji with a full squad and um yeah or at least stop off on the way and have a game against fiji in fiji i think that's an important thing for 
the big nations to be doing. Mm. Could not agree more. So final couple of bits of news. I think important for us to mention this, we sort of spoke about this a little bit. It's not something we engaged with per se, really, not, not sort of like consciously anyway, but uh, the social media boycott from this weekend that went on. So from 3pm on Saturday, sorry, a number of uh, unions, rugby teams, uh, football clubs, I think the FA might have jumped on it as well, did what they were calling a social media boycott and sort of challenge and recognition against um, the social media abuse and stuff like that online. So it's sort of blacked out from from then. And I think they're back today at 3pm or they were back yesterday at 3pm, whatever it was. But it's either a 24 or 48 hour blackout of social media, kind of like much like what people did with the, the Black Lives Matter movement earlier in the year with where they blacked out their profile pictures and all that for a day or two, whatever it was. So I just think it's important to acknowledge that and just sort of have a quick minute or two, just sort of gloss over it. It's not something that we actively engage in and not something that I, I don't typically tend to actively engage in these kind of things. These sort of, it's difficult to say. I think everyone has yeah. validity, valid, there's validity <laughs> in doing anything like that. But for me, I just... I think it's easy and I understand why people would call it a token gesture. I think it's easy to see it as just being inaction for action's sake, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I think we, in our specific case, like we are, like it does not matter what we do. Like we have a few hundred followers. Like no one's looking to us for moral guidance and like we've yet to receive <laughs> online abuse. Um, hopefully we get some soon. So that's, you know, that's when you know you've made it. But, you know, like, <laughs> we're, it doesn't affect, if we say, oh, we're doing a social media blackout, like, who cares? Like, it's just one less garbage piece of our, our content that comes up in people's feeds. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's definitely an argument to be said for these things. That it's kind of like, are they on their own high horse and tooting their own horn a little bit to say, oh, look at us doing well. I think the issue is important because obviously it's, it is disgusting that people use social media and, sort of the anonymity of the internet to give people abuse. Um, I think it, it's a strange thing. Obviously, there's the internet is an open forum. I think if you put yourself on there, you're asking to get some negative feedback, and it is abusive, but it's when it crosses over to the sort of like the racism and the, like the sexism and the threats where it becomes a real issue, obviously – you know, every weekend, you more or less somebody, a, a black player in the Premier League, um, football mainly, I'm sure it happens for rugby players as well, but it's, only, it's front page news in the Premier League and they've been given, you know, all manner of racist abuse on, online. And you regularly hear about a lot of um, of women, sports people getting, you know, awful like rape threats and things like that and other sexist abuse. And that's obviously out of order. But, you know, I think like if if you're a footballer, and you go online and someone says, you know, you're fucking shit, mate. Why did you uh, why did you miscontrol the ball and let him score? Or saying Wayne Rooney's a fat granny shagger. Like, I don't know. That that's part of being a public figure, I think, but it's it's not really it's on, but is, is it any different to having fifty thousand people calling the referee a wanker at a football game? Like Everyone I guess it's in games then, don't they? Yeah, it's a bit more personal. Personally, I think that's something you don't want to take away from a football environment. I know rugby, generally speaking, doesn't have that. You might boo the referee, certainly at Welford Road, because you know, <laughs> they always boo the referee, even when they make a good decision. <laughs> um, so it's that debate, isn't it, about you know what's okay and what isn't in terms of 
abuse and if you're on that public platform are you inviting it on yourself or can you just expect it and but it's i think it's i i support that they're doing i think it's a good thing that it's basically saying you know we don't this isn't right and but realistically i don't know is it going to make a difference like is is a black social media blackout from okay it's, it's quite a good collection of things but is that going to deter people from saying oh you're a cunt um probably not sorry for using yeah. that word mum but <laughs> <laughs> you know, i'll say it as well cunt sorry deb um, <laughs> Yeah, it's. I'm all for free speech. I'm sure, mo- like pretty much everyone is, and like you said, I think everyone has a right to say what they want and give an opinion about something or a performance. Or, but when you target that in terms of attacking people and segregating people based upon what they are, not who they are. So, if someone's an arsehole, you can call them an arsehole. But when you attack someone and put like you know the word or something related to their race or gender or their sexual orientation in front of it, just it, it that's not relevant. So it is, that is when it is just a pure abuse for the sake of abuse. It's not relevant to the point you're making. You're just trying to attack them for who they are to try and, you know, make them hate themselves, which yeah. we, we live in a jealous culture now. I think, you know, social media is fantastic. Instagram in particular has given us a great platform to get started on. But like you said before, it's kind of like the evil that you have to accept with it is there's a lot of jealous people in the world because they're seeing how well other people are living so readily now and how well other people are doing so if you are in a bad place, it's easy to sort of drag someone else down. I don't think, however, a lot of people are talking for like passports and stuff like that online. I'm, I'm not sure how that will go. I, I, you know, I think it's it's a difficult one, a much more complex issue than two or three minutes on a podcast can really give justice to. But I just think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, like we've said before, online abuse and stuff like that, and abuse in general isn't on. It's not nice. Don't you know? Don't do it to people. <laughs> Pretty simple, really. But at the same time, yeah, there's there's a certain level of evil that comes with this tool called the internet and social media in particular that we have to be aware of. And maybe maybe helping people develop some resilience would also be a benefit because yeah. you know you can't stop abuse. It will always happen. There will always be some people with bigoted and backwards opinions who will voice it in an unpleasant way. But um, you know, I think maybe helping our helping our youth gain that resilience for being online. You know what I mean? Character building and stuff like that. And I think that's what sport sometimes does as well. So hopefully. Hopefully that will give a platform where that will become something going forward. Mm. I like we say, you know, don't abuse isn't. If you're listening to this and you are somebody who does send abuse to people, I don't know what kind of person does. I mean, don't do it. Like I appreciate if someone's had a bad game and you say you're a knobhead, or if you don't like Piers Morgan, you call him an idiot. Like you know, do you, what do you really gain from it? Probably doesn't even read it. Um, like if uh, do something is, positive yeah get down the gym get down the gym learn to box let your aggression and and you know bad feelings out in a different yeah. way go play rugby go kick a football against the wall for a bit do something more productive go mm. for an angry run don't sit there eating cheetos and fucking telling people to kill themselves or hang themselves <laughs> because you hate your fucking life and because manchester united lost it ruined your fucking weekend grow the fuck up do something yeah. more positive to be, like that. to be fair to the, I mean, it, it's not quite the same. I remember when I first ever like found out about Twitter, it must have been about 13, 14. And I think the first thing I did was just tweet abuse to celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake. But I mean, I was a child. Like, um, you know, if you're if you're a grown-up, I mean, if you're a child, don't do it. It is stupid. You will you will feel embarrassed when you think about it when you're older, but like <laughs> 
if you're an adult, especially, what's wrong? What are you doing? Come on, yeah, they grow up, grow Be better. Up. All right, yeah. last but not least on the headlines, because I, I know we've we've got to tie in our, our great friend Ordice into the pod, and we've got a really good thing, which which people hopefully have come for. This is gonna be a really interesting episode. Um, but uh, last thing I wanted to go over, something that literally just came across before we got online. Um, really interesting. Japan is set to open its first esports gym, the first ever in Tokyo, where people can book three-hour slots at PCs and pay for coaching from professional gamers to improve their performance as an esports person. Not not an area I particularly know too much about. We both enjoy playing some video games every now and then, but uh, yeah, pretty interested. And it says here that you can book your three-hour slots for $13.00. Uh, or you can opt in for a monthly membership starting at $50, which allows daily access um, as well as additional coaching sessions that can be added on for $25 an hour. Really interesting because there's a lot of money to be made in this esports world. We've seen that. So I guess like anything, getting better at rugby, going to extra coaching sessions or having tutor sessions, same, same, but different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of cool in a way. It's a very sort of Japanese thing to do. Like I know, like Japan, Korea, those Asian cultures, they are they're quite big on this thing. I mean, like esports as a whole sort of started in big Korea. Gamers. Yeah, big gamers. Um, like, I mean, I'm quite a big gamer myself. I'm not very good, nowhere near, and I don't really care for esports that much, to be honest. Um, I um, but I appreciate it's a big market, and I know there's a few rugby players actually. I think is it, uh, Jamal Ford Robinson is an esports coach. I think <laughs> he has, yeah, a, a, has an esports friend team. of the friend of the pod, George Pollock, who designed our logo. Apparently, uh, p- plays with him a fair lot online. So there yeah, you go. I know. I think it's him. Uh, but I remember it was something. Yeah, there's eight, and it's not uncommon. I think a couple of players own, on own, but part owners of an esports team. I know George George North. And a couple of the world yeah. lads, they stream as well on 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 Twitch. Genji's a big gamer as well. Yeah, I mean, I get why. I mean, they get so, so much free time. Like it's kind of it's. I think gaming as a whole has like a, <laughs> has a stigma, doesn't it? From I think it's a hangover from like the eighties and nineties, where it was like uh, a boys in the basement sort of nerdy thing, and it's now it is just very mainstream. Um, yeah, I think I think it's quite cool. I mean, like the market's there. People want to get better, and like how. I think breaking down gaming into something that is, you know, breaking down those skills like you would do, like you think about what rugby training was 30 years ago, it would have been turn up Tuesday, Thursday night and then go for a run in the week and probably do some farming. I don't even went to the gym like to get stronger. Like they just yeah. used to do running and stuff. And like you were just, and now we have it broken down to the point now where like you think about the Clive Woodward era of England when it was like they were doing, like the reaction tests and these psychoanalytical tests, as well as obviously the gym stuff has come in now. And like, and I think we're moving away from like just getting big, strong, like body world weights. Um, we will go on a minute and say, all these talks about it, moving that sort of like power plyometrics kind of thing is taking over now. Um, so to the te- apply that to, I guess, video gaming, where I guess that reaction time, that decision-making is what makes the difference. Obviously it's not, physical skill as such but obviously that coordination that timing i guess there's a lot of skills to break down to be good at video games compared to um in the same way that in any sport there is a lot of different skills that you need to break down to improve to become like the very best so interesting i think it's something that will catch on um i don't expect to see it like 
pure gym will start opening gaming wing or something <laughs> and we're going to have one in every city soon but i'm sure i think it will come, i mean esports is here to stay um so i think it's interesting what are your thoughts so so long as we don't end up like the people living on the spaceship in that disney film wally where they're all like humongously overweight and they're all being carted around by these little things i think we're all right you know i think there's definitely a place for video games i i love a, a video game me and you are both quite big fans of a a good rpg or a sports game you know we, we enjoy playing them i think yeah it's great to do any downtime it's you know kind of a little bit of escapism really as well isn't it? it's like it's like a film you know a film you can escape into a different story same with a video game and you have a bit more control over it so it is fun and yeah the, these tournament aspects of things look really cool and there is a bit of drama involved in esports and it's some of that's enjoyable i mean if you are living in the tokyo area um go check out they're just calling it the gym which is pretty cool um they call it the gym. It's opening on nineteenth of May, two thousand twenty-one. Uh, Dave Nurse's twenty-sixth birthday. That is my birthday. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll go. Um, I might struggle to book that off work and get flights to Tokyo. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I mean, in terms of like video games being unhealthy, I think that's. Um, I don't think that they are themselves unhealthy. I think it's just they are. I mean, they can be quite addictive. Like you said, we end up being like the people in Wally. Uh, I think that, uh, to be fair, it's, yeah, it's an interesting time. You know, I don't know if you watched any of the darts over Christmas, and mm. the guy who won the darts, um, I can't remember his name now, something Price. Uh, used to play, Price. Yeah, he used to play for the Ospreys and play for Glasgow and Rugby League. Yeah. And he's like the first in-shape darts player, and he wins the World Championships within his first go. Like, um well, you said odd... jacked bodybuilders need to start playing esports and they might dominate the well not jacked bodybuilders but these <laughs> sports that are traditionally not healthy i think people who are in good physical condition are going to be able to do better like if you you know a low resting heart rate you know that just generally having stamina um you obviously don't need to be athletic to play video games but that kind of you know, being trained and, and it's little things that you know if you're in an all day if you've got to play video games eight hours a day because it's your job like you need the stamina to get through that. Um, a good nutrition plan as well. Like you can't just sit there eating Cheetos, which is like the traditional view of a gamer. Like and a kind of monster. Yeah, like you, you sort your nutrition out, live a healthy way. You, you're gonna be better at it. So I think there's, I think we'll, in a way, it's a weird way. I think that's something that potentially as it gets professional and people start to get that edge from being in a bit better shape. Maybe that'll become the norm, and we're gonna see gamers who are not, not like world-class athletes, but are just not like tubby or really skinny. Like the guys who are just in decent shape to play, which I think is a potential thing. Maybe that will do something to uh, reverse that sort of stereotype, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think as anything, like you said, as gaming has gotten more mainstream, it's attracting things like rugby players, footballers, that kind of thing. Like it always has had that element, but now attracting it in a much more mainstream sense, I guess, yeah, you, you do get those changes, you know, as darts and things like that have become massively more mainstream, having been on Sky Sports for a consistent amount of time and stuff like that. We've seen that growth in the game and, and yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it'll be. Maybe it's a slight change in, in the thing. But anyway, out of the esports gym uh, and into the, the world of rugby fitness and sort of self-development and stuff, um, welcoming our guest now, which Dave will tie in with his supreme editing skills, tie in our conversation with our friend and yours, uh, Ordice Mahosa. Well, we're joined by kind of an old friend, old acquaintance of ours, who we've known through 
through being sort of schools used to play each other uh, every other year. So we travel down from Hinkley down to London, play the guys from Oratory, they travel up and stay with us. And uh, our friend Ordiz was one of the guys who stayed with me at a, a now infamous, within my family anyway, infamous house party that I had the year we were all in upper sixth. And it, it went a bit bit right wing, bit left wing, bit down the middle. We managed to get there and play the game on Sunday. And uh, and yeah, by the magic of social media, we've been brought back together. And uh, yeah, we've, we've got him on to talk a bit about what he does and talk about some fitness and training for people getting back into rugby and stuff. So why don't you just give us all a bit of an idea about, you know, what you've been doing over the last few years and uh, and how you've recovered since that massive hangover you had, because I remember <laughs> that night, mate. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my word. I think I don't end up, like, chundering on your bedroom floor. Oh, that was <laughs> bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Felipe, Felipe as well was staying. He was in a bad way. That, mm. oh, that, that game was awful. Um, but, yeah, managed to get through it. Yeah, basically, um, uh, last couple of years, I've like, kind of transitioned into, um, I became self-employed pretty like beginning of March last year. Um, became a, a personal trainer. Um, before then, I was actually working. I had like a day job um, in a hospital. But I was also doing some strength and conditioning um, with a uni rugby side um, for, a, for, a, for a season. Um, but it got, got discontinued because of COVID and everything. So that was kind of my like introduction into, into proper fitness coaching. Um, but I've always kind of had like a passion for um, training and stuff. And then uh, only recently just like, made it like a full-time, full-time gig, basically. And um, yeah, got some exciting stuff coming up as well. I'm going to uh, do head the SNC for um, semi pro. Well, I think it's semi pro. Um, seven Oaks rugby. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've heard no, of them. Yeah. No guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a one of one of the clients at the at the gym is a coach for Seven Oaks rugby, and he's wanted to get some get some people on board to help with their SNC for the coming upcoming season. And yeah. I was, Kind of like in the process of planning that all out and mapping out the um yeah the strength and conditioning side of, of things for that so yeah really, really okay. looking forward to it cool so, so when you come into a club at that kind of sort of level sort of uh i guess outside like the national one that's sort of really sort of higher towards the elite sort of side of things yeah. you know with that limited kind of time that we have because you know for me coaching as well we get like tuesday thursdays maybe you know one extra night a week and then a lot of the guys are either gymming themselves or you organize a gym uh, session mm -hmm. what kind of what kind of things do you target coming in in terms of what you want to really work on so uh, first of all you need to keep it as simple as possible because you know you don't have as much contact time as if you're in a professional setup where you can speak to players all the time you can like pull them in for testing whenever you want really and just like have a proper eye on them so first thing is you need to keep it simple and then what you're actually trying to the main like the kind of main objectives because of the demands of um of rugby the main, everyone thinks that you just need to just need to be strong and the strong will, and all that kind of solve like the problems but there's a bit more to a bit more to that because of um like the way the game is now like the game breaking moments are like really short sharp bursts so it's all about how the most important thing is like how powerful a player is so that's what you're Ideally, you want your players to be really powerful. Strength does come into it um, somewhat in developing power. And then you want your players to be really fit. But there's kind of, there's two types of fitness. You've got your aerobic and your anaerobic. So your aerobic is like, just like your like kind of steady state kind of, um, uh, kind of cardio. 
whereas you're anaerobic is that short, sharp sprint and like that explosive kind of um, um, kind of yeah, yeah, that explosive kind of fitness. So you want your players to be able to repeat that as often as possible. And then when um, they like, for example, like a, a tackle or a ruck or or even like a line breaker step, you just want them to be able to when they get into that those positions, be able to have as much maximum impact basically, because that's what kind of def games are defined by moments like that. So developing that over like a preseason about 12 weeks, but it takes a bit of planning and it's like incremental phases you kind of have to go through. So you'd, you'd kind of develop your aerobic fitness first before you then you go into your more game specific anaerobic fitness purely because the aerobic fitness side of things allows you to recover quicker from anaerobic efforts so the stuff which is like your short sprints and like big big tackles and things like that so you want to build up that base before you go into more game specific style fitness and the other good great thing about aerobic fitness is that it will improve like, your recovery like from game to game between sessions as well, which is like really undervalued because you know how like Robbie's a super like taxing game on the body. So the ability to recover is massive. Sometimes after a really big game, it can, it can like take, I'm pretty sure Dan, you probably would have felt even, yeah, um, you would have felt sometimes it can take like five days to recover from like a, like a proper big game. Your shoulders can be absolutely done. So being able to recover quickly and be able, so you can actually train effectively and then again be able to like perform well on a game day as well as being able to recover quickly from those short bursts within the game um, is like that's that's quite massive that's something that me and the other person I'm working with like really focusing on to develop that kind of fitness and then again the, the power side of things one interesting thing which I found out um, is that um, the higher the level you go, especially when you get to that kind of nat one, nat, nat two, nat three into the championship, the players are kind of, they're all around the same strength, but the major difference is their power output. When you get to like prem level, it's that they just tend to be more powerful. Like people like benching like, or like 140, 130 is pretty standard, like when you get to that level. So that's why I mean like improving strength is not the is not the main thing when you get to that it was about improving the power so then especially when it comes to contact or being able to accelerate it's how quickly you can produce that force which is going to make the difference in a bigger tackle a turnover um being able to accelerate through a gap things like that so that's what's going to be yeah, the defining moment for for players and trying to yeah trying to um, improve their game is it's definitely going to be like the the power power side of things yeah I think yeah, that kind of yeah so yeah 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 it's so, so it's, yeah it's, it's mad it's mad because I, I did some work uh, when I was doing my masters in applied sports science I did a lot of work with some boxers and literally yeah. you know, the coaches are saying to me literally I need to try and get as much power and and strength and explosivity as possible but this kid cannot go gain like two kilos so in terms yeah. of like normally people associate that power with, you know, gaining muscle mass and stuff like that, like you yeah, said about yeah, yeah, being yeah, big. Yeah. But the ability, what, like, it was amazing how we could just build so much strength and power in them by just controlling things like rep ranges 
and speed of movements and the kind of angle of movement and stuff like that to to increase that power. And I think rugby is really really sort of similar now because mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's, it's weird. Like props used to be like 130, 140 standard, but now it's it's guys now at that top level are looking like to be sort of 120, 125 maximum because like yeah, you say they yeah. want that kind of ability to still get 60 odd minutes out of them and have that aerobic fitness but also the power weight ratio has got to be there isn't it yeah 100 percent. Yeah, yeah that's another thing is that um you don't want any like wasted weight on the on the on the player so you want the player to be essentially as lean as possible and that's going to help with um like having that extra power but you don't want to be shifting excess fat basically but that's another fact in terms of when it so SNC, that's like the gym, I kind of spoken about like the gym um, training aspect. And then there's a massive part as well when it comes to nutrition as well. Um, that's, that's really, that's really come, um, come on, especially I was working with a client actually and like the importance of like timing your nutrition around like training and games and things like that to make sure that you can perform at your best on like, on, like in those sessions. And as, as well as being able to just make sure you keep like a good body composition, low body fat, and keep that keep that muscle mass um, like throughout the season without um, yeah without that kind of falling off. So yeah, there's there's the nutrition aspect, which again is um, I think is sometimes undervalued. I think my boy just loves it. It's, pr- it's protein and beers, isn't it? Just <laughs> much, that's all that's all live by. Yeah. But there, there is a bit more to more to it than. And getting on the lash and just having and smashing as much protein um protein back there as possible so yeah that's another that's another big aspect i, I don't know what like your kind of views on like the nutrition side of things are like either of you yeah yeah well, dave's a good guy to talk to because you've shifted well, dave's traditionally tight i don't know if you remember back back in the day that's where dave would be about but you, you've cut a load of weight haven't you man like really gradually and getting into this sevens kind of physique I don't know if I've got a sevens physique just yet. It's a very bold move for someone to think to try and make. I think <laughs> if you go from playing a career at tired to then say, wow, you know what? I'm going to play sevens now. Um, mm. I mean, in terms of my nutrition and what I have been trying to do over the last sort of, what, I think how much I've lost, lost touching. 25 kilos over the last sort of year or so um which i found i've tried to be able to do it where it's been relatively slow so then you know that what the weight that's coming off is is fat that's being burned ideally yeah um so it's obviously trying like track your calories and that kind of thing i think the whether or not it makes a difference or not um, the every advice you find online will say that you've got to have you know, as much of protein intake as possible um, and, uh-huh. try and keep that that calorie deficit and so it seems you find some people that say oh it's this simple it's just eat less calories and do you know then you burn you will lose weight some people say oh you need you know this you, you've got to factor protein in some people you're going to go light, low carbon um, or low fat and somewhere you know one of the two it seems yeah. that that a lot of the advice out there is not that clear um, as to, or it's depending on who you ask as well. Some people seem to yeah. have opposite ideas of what are going to get you somewhere. Um, mm. So I've more or less, it's just trying to track my calories and eat. 
I guess like whole foods really less process is basically mm-hmm. my my approach yeah, and, right. and where possible have as much yeah. protein if I can I've so now the gyms have started opening up again I've been training there um really making sure of having a lot or as much protein as I can get in a day sort of in that calorie yeah. target um yeah yeah, yeah. but I, exactly I yeah I feel I definitely feel that the recovery feels better and I always feel like I look better in a mirror if I'm keeping that protein and then I always feel sluggish um and and it feels like having not as much an effect if I if I know I've had a few days where I've not had that even if I've had like you know, less calories so I know I'm in theory should have yeah. lost weight um there is it seems to be the balance is difficult I don't really know what I'm doing so I'm, cause I'm just get, going on what I find yeah. on, on the internet yeah so, yeah no, cool. um, yeah trying obviously it's, it's going the right direction as so I am dropping the weight yeah. but yeah you um the I guess the advice is not always that clear I try my best but you know I'm, I'm not an yeah. expert <laughs> no I think is um yeah I, I, was, I was working with um female rugby player and she she basically came to me that she wanted she wanted to lose weight um like she's trying to like transition position try and get a little bit quicker but not like compromise like her performance like on the field and training and things like that so i kind of like what i did with her was i think the number one thing obviously you've got to be in that calorie deficit and then you've got the second thing which is super important another thing which i found out actually is that the protein demand for a rugby player um is is higher than even like a general athlete or some not basically somebody who doesn't do a non-contact sport it, because of the, the impact and stuff to help with that recovery you actually need more protein um but, but it's like something like two two and a half times um your your body weight in kilograms um that's the amount of grams that you should be shooting for um which is which for big lads as well the rugby that's a lot of, it's a lot of protein like if, if you you try and do the maths and try and map out what you need to eat in the day you're probably going to find yourself having like four or five scoops of protein just to help you help you get to those those kind of numbers because i mean like at the moment i'm really i'm trying to hit like 200 grams of protein which is which is okay it's like a good number but then like if, if i was like in the season like properly going for it i'd be trying to trying to hit even more than that so and it is a tough ask that's one thing um that like, kind of really helped my really helped my client um that helped with her recovery she found that she was like just recovering like just like that like the day like the day after like it was like really helping her and the, and the, the other thing is with like being able to maximize like being able to perform on a game day or in training is that's where the importance of um having your carbs like your, your fast acting carbs so mm-hmm. some, something as simple as like a packet of sweets is even like a good like a source of fast a banana probably a bit healthier um just to give you that spike in like glucose and energy just before just before um, your session to give you that energy to like be able to to like, like perform in that in that game or or, or, or gym session and, and then straight after you again you want um like a fast acting kind of like carb as well and that will that will help like speed effectively like shuttle the nutrients that you that your body needs to help aid the recovery process a lot faster and, but, and that's when you want to have a good source of protein important to have a good source of protein 
like this anabolic window thing, like this 30 minute anabolic, that doesn't exist by the way. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. Like I generally, <laughs> I had a friend back at school and you, you literally, after training, like gym session at school, he was sprint home because he needed to make sure he had he got his protein shake 30 minutes within when he finished his session. It was like, it was, it was nuts. But it's, that window is actually much larger. It can be up to like two to three hours, but you just need to make sure that you've got a good source of protein there. And, um, and obviously, because you're trying to lose weight, you need to do all of that whilst being in a, whilst being in a deficit. And that's where, that's where it can get, that's where it can get tough because, um, you probably have to plan out your meals quite yeah, ahead of time to make sure you, in each meal you're getting enough protein, but again, it's not too high in calorie. And then you've got to make sure you've got to equate for having those carbs around your sessions so that you, you can then have the energy to perform and, and recover. Um, but it is doable. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's a kind of like level of detail you, you, you go to if you're, if you're yeah, obviously losing weight and trying to still be good at your sport. Because it's not like this, the bodybuilding world is completely different. That's just all about aesthetics. So mm. it, it doesn't it doesn't come into it about like you're not trying to prep for a for a match day and things like that. So but yeah, nut- yeah, nutrition. Yeah, it's a super important important side. Like going into this, this SNC world, is there's so many different factors, um, and that obviously the nutrition will, will affect how well you can actually do well on, 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 on a gym training plan as well. Um, so it's not all about what you're doing in the gym. If you're everything outside of it, it's just not, it's not on point either kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think people really underestimate it as well. Like people are always desperate to get protein in as soon as they finish their workout. Like say people are sprinting home to get a shake or they're, you know, mixing <laughs> a powder in the bag, but like people yeah. underestimate the other things that you lose in a hard session. So your, your natural, you know, your salts in your body, your sugar, yeah. So sugars are essential in recovery as well for, for fueling yeah. transporters to get these nutrients yeah, yeah. around the body. So people, yeah. you know, like a, like you said, a banana or something like that between games, especially at something like a sevens tournament, is yeah. essential to getting you back to that that instant kind of recovery so you can start. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of strange like that, especially maybe even people like who are doing like a martial arts to have like a tournament scenario to it. You know, you've got to find that level of recovery between sort of those amateur fights where you may be doing like three rounds and you go, to another fight in like an hour and stuff like that. you've got to get that recovery going as, as soon as possible in in that sort of micro setup like you say yeah. so hitting those sugars and stuff like that is, is more essential than than proteins instantly sometimes because it starts that recovery process and then you get the proteins in which hopefully get transported around sufficiently yeah exactly yeah yeah no no that's yeah that's exactly that what what level are you are you coaching at like what kind of setup do you have in terms of like your snc setup yeah, so, so we're we're level seven as well. So we're uh, in Western Counties, West Division. So down here in the southwest, and uh, in terms of all that stuff, man, that's the sort of stuff we've been building infrastructure-wise. It's kind of the yeah. advantage that COVID's given in some ways. I think for amateur sport, in terms of being able to build these little bits and pieces up. So yeah. currently in the process of leveling out some ground at the back of the clubhouse, which we've got, and, and putting our kind of an outdoor gym space in there uh, for the guys to access. So you know, pull-up bars, outdoor squat and, and bench racks, the kind of dual threats. Yeah. Uh, and then some uh, cardio machines as well, some ergometers out there as well, you know, rowing machines and some bikes we've got. Um, so at the moment, we're, we're coming into that really, but we actually start pre-season on Tuesday. Uh, and the yeah, yeah. pre-season is really sort of working on um, establishing that sort of strength and power stuff. So lots of 
um, sort of low weight, uh, sorry, low rep, high high weight kind of activities and explosive movements, so short burst sprints and stuff like that, mm-hmm. just to get the guys moving again. And then we're going to go more towards, like I said before, this sort of extensive anaerobic work throughout June and July. So yeah, it's kind of, yeah. kind of me utilizing my expertise at the minute, mate, until we can get going again and hopefully get some some interns over from Exeter uh, University because yeah. we're only about 15 minutes away from there. Well, uh, so we can hopefully get that kind of thing going again, really. That's what we've sort of been been talking with them about. So hopefully down the line, we can get some some uh, some Aldeces down here to help us out, man. So, so. <laughs> but, uh, but at the moment, they've got to they've got to rely on me and my uh, my uh, you know my my background's more psych as well, to be fair. But uh, psych yeah. and physiology, so they've got to go with my uh, my phys knowledge at the moment. So, but we're just trying to get that yeah that explosive base to go with and then uh, build from there really. But lots and lots of rugby, so getting that kind of aerobic fitness from our rugby. So we'll always have like a yeah. 60-40 split, playing lots of mm-hmm. games. So. Um, I think that's that's where we're going to try and build that aerobic side of things, and then hope you know, except, ex- hopefully, expect the guys to do a few five or ten k runs in their spare time as well. But uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's but, you know, that's a, yeah, that's another thing as well is um, it's 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 very easy to like get bogged down with like the textbook way of of this mm-hmm. is how you should build strength, this is how you should build power, like uh, this is how you should go about getting fitter, but then planning it around like your resources and like the team. And what like like their preferences because um because at the end of the day you, the only successful plan that you can actually have is one where you get decent buy-in yeah you know, in the first place and like like with your kind of like psych kind of background like what kind of things I'm, like I've, I've i've tried like different things in terms of like keeping it competitive and like like leaderboards and like if, if guys don't do certain fitness like when like during the week in their own time when they come to a training session like they get punished for more fitness and like little little bits and bobs like that um like how do you go about like trying to like keep keep people like on top of like the the fitness like and physicals like keeping the physical yeah so so f- first first side of it is um is always sort of finding out what your crowd is so you know they always talk about comedy like know your room so know what kind yeah. of jokes are going to work. Similar kind of thing, yeah. like get to know early doors, what kind of things the guys respond to. Because some guys respond to that that harshness of doing extras or being forced upon them and told, this is what you exactly need to do. Whereas a lot yeah. of guys have got a lot of self-independence, so they'll get that stuff done. Um, yeah. so I think it's about learning what works for people straight away as quickly as possible so that when you implement something, it gets, it gets a certain buy-in. Uh, but then adding value to it. So people always understanding what the reason is for what we're doing. So making that knowledge that we have available to people I've, I've seen works quite well before so understanding mm-hmm. doing this length of work for this amount of reps is improving this system in your body and a lot of guys are responding yeah, yeah, yeah. to that so just find out how to get that why across to them as well even if it is literally just saying like you say like leaderboards and stuff like that and saying this is the level we want to be at playing next season so this is the kind of fitness requirement sort of like mm-hmm. you said before having that knowledge I think of have seen like this is what the standard is at sort of national one championship level if you're in a mm-hmm. club that wants to be at that level you can go this is what the physiological this is what the physical standard is yeah skills wise the coach is going to push on his his thing but as an snc guy this is where we want to be in terms of our physical attributes so getting them to understand that as well i think is really important so always having you know knowing the room that why and then i think i love the idea of things being competitive like you say like if you're doing sprints have the guys chasing each other i always find things like that works really well so one guy maybe starting on the dead ball line the other guy starting on the try line it's a 60 meter Mm -hmm. sprint whistle goes you've got to try and catch that guy in front of you. And if you do, then, you know, you win that little bit of fitness. But they call it like masked fitness a lot in football, don't they? Sort of like, uh, 
you know mass fitness there so it just sort of um you know people don't realize that they're running and stuff like that so i think those are those are kind of key ones there that always work for people but it's so difficult isn't it because especially in amateur sports people want to have fun so i think that's always the underlying thing as well keeping it fun and interesting because yeah. that's kind of adds value itself yeah that's yeah that's the balance which is um yeah it's kind of difficult because obviously as an ssc coach you want to take everything like as like as seriously and as professionally as possible mm-hmm. but there's there's literally some guys who who are there for the crack and they just want to have a beer with their mates after playing a rugby game on a weekend so like, how are you going to get buying from them? Like, you, you don't know. So then you get, you know, you've got other people potentially, definitely in an amateur set who might be looking to kick on to maybe play pro, maybe play pro, and they'll like listen to every last like word of everything that you're saying and like, do things like that. So yeah, I think that's the difficult thing as well, mate. Because sometimes as an actual coach, you get that kind of conundrum where you've got people who are really keen and want to do their extras and stuff like that. And then people who you're not maybe going to get so much more out of because they've, they've hit mm. that, you know, that's all they, you know, like I said, they just want a beer and, and have a good time. So mm. sometimes even as harsh as it is, like focusing your energy where it, where it's best in terms of yeah. to, to get the best results. So you kind of maybe give that standard, this is your training plan. If you guys want to access it, this is what you need to do in the week when you're not with us. Or mm. at a session, they might do their sprints and stuff like that with you, but then they'll go back and on the Wednesday night, they won't do the session, which is laid out. But for the guys who are accessing it, they'll get as much out of it as possible. So I think making yourself available is always important, but then also being realistic because, yeah, you brought in to to coach the whole setup. But like you say, if people aren't going to access it, it's not, without sounding a bit horrible, it's not your problem almost. I think you're like, where that energy is going to be best used. Because for me, yeah, if I was looking down the barrel and I had a player who wasn't going to put any effort in and then I had a guy who's going to put all the effort in and he wants to go to like the top level, if I can help him reach that top level, I can I will give that time more. Do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. I'll give the basic amount for, for if that. And if people are happy receiving that, then that's fine. I think you know what I mean. You've got to yeah, at some no, point no, be realistic, no. like I say, haven't you? And you've got to be not harsh, but like fair. I think fair is the key word there. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, hundred, yeah, no. Like, what, 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 you, like, what's your experience like with um, like, have you experienced like, being in a setup with like strong S and C, um, mm-hmm. or have you just kind of looked after it yourself, basically? Yes. So the the great thing, you know, this about playing at universities and stuff and and Dave will as well is like, uh, you you always tend to get like the S&C sort of interns come in and do stuff with you. Or Mm -hmm. if you're lucky enough, maybe you get a chance in the university's high performance unit, which is like, you know, the nice, the nice gym with all that, the nice equipment and all that. So you kind of get those things there, which is good. And we're quite fortunate when I was at university, we got some time with that quite a lot, especially uh, University of Derby. So we're quite lucky. Yeah, they just opened uh, when my start my third year. Just opened a brand new ten million pound sports centre. So they put a lot of infrastructure and investment in. So they've got quite a good sort of high performance unit there, which we were lucky to to get that kind of access for. You know, it's like seven a.m. on a Monday and a Friday morning. But you know, you get in there, get your work done, set you up for the day. But uh, and then at clubs, at clubs sort of playing sort of level sort of yeah level five, level six uh, kind of thing. You do kind of get people come in and put that work in place and. You know, it was quite interesting actually. The last club I was at, we spent a lot of time working on sprint mechanics. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We'd had an artificial yeah. pitch put in, so our coach Kevinham spent a lot of time in pre-season and stuff like working on sprint mechanics. So we did a lot of like resisted uh, running, a lot of technique work and stuff like that. Because so I think there's a scope. I think sometimes as an SNC coach as well, the kind of side expectation for you is to reduce injuries. You know, what I mean, reduce. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing that um, definitely look into because because it's such a combative sport. Um, basically, the coach wants to have the ability to pick their best players every single week. 
Yeah. So that's that's another uh, that's going to help massively with the success of the team is if they're everyone fit and available as, as often as possible. So yeah, incorporating some like prehab um, exercises and making sure that they're robust, that their hammies aren't pulling, their lower back, their ankles aren't yeah. going all the time. Because yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's another thing which is like massively important, and mm. yeah, that's where I think. I think that's where the SNC will probably like really earn their money. It's just being able to keep their players fit, because then if their their best players are fit, then obviously they can they can perform, and then then the next level will be to oh can you get them faster, fitter, more powerful? But I think I think like number one is probably, in my personal opinion, is is that that injury rate keeping that. Um, keeping that as um, as low as possible. Yeah, and, and that's always a good way in because if you make guys realise that you're caring enough for them to try and stop them from getting hurt so they get maximal playing time, which is the funnest part of, of playing, yeah. you know. Yeah. So if you can make guys realise that, that kind of gets you that instant instantaneous buy-in as well. I think with, mm-hmm. with a lot of players, if they understand that, yeah, this is what's being done here because the most sort of valued member in terms of, I think from players' perspective, a lot of times the physio. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Guys value yeah. the physio very highly. <laughs> because of what they do they get them back on the field so if you're part yeah. of that kind of emotional connection to it I think you always get a really good response like we the last club I was at we spent a lot of time doing that sort of stuff when I was coaching at the university before coming down here we put a lot of emphasis on those kind of things like in mm-hmm. terms of being you know physically robust not just in terms of being big enough to bump people off left right and centre or mm-hmm. lay people out in a tackle but to actually be sort of able to manage that workload mm-hmm. um, you know, again playing on these artificial pitches you expect rough, you kind of expect more ball and play time, roughly statistically and stuff like that. You expect, you know, higher it was a result a higher number of tackles in a game, higher number of collisions, and uh, a lot more clean breaks and stuff like that. So those kind of things to be more robust are really important. Like you say, no, no hamstring injuries or anything like that. You know, um, niggly injuries we can get past. You know, shoulders we can strap up and stuff like that. But if someone pops a hammy, six yeah. weeks one of them. You know, with um, exactly. so I've not got the like sports science background or, or, or S&C background that either of you two have. And I've noticed as a player, there's definitely been a trend the last year, two, maybe more, mm-hmm. obviously pre-COVID, that that sort of prehab kind of part of a, of a fitness session became quite a lot of it. We Instead of back in the day, you know, you'd turn up, you'd have a, have a jog around the, a lap of the pitch, bit of stretching, static stretching, and then that'd be, it'd be, you know bang straight into it and then it's an hour hour and a half of sprints you know of, of long shuttles that kind of thing um but the, definitely the last maybe it's just the club i was at but the last couple of pre-seasons i was at that we would spend a good half hour of that sort of activation of must be that um so you know like the, the um like sprint prep doing things like you know a skips things like that and those high knees those drives to really get yourself ready it's almost like you're spending almost half the session preparing to do the session. Is that something that, is that a better way of doing it? Obviously having that less time doing the specifics of that, yeah. like the fitness, but your body is being better prepared to maybe get more out of that session, yeah. or at least you're not going to get the risks of injury. You know, it is a long hour and a half pre-season session, almost having the reverse effect. If it's just, you know, long, hard working blokes are killing themselves to get through it. I think um, it's, it's it's obviously finding a balance because um, obviously you've got the coaches who just want to do as much ball work and like technique work, getting, going through plays um, and things like that. But 
the nature of preseason, preseason is tough. And you sometimes you get you get lads who've like gone come back from holiday and their bodies like, literally just aren't ready to handle a preseason off the bat. So obviously you have your some of your keynotes who, who like always keeping themselves in good condition, but it's important to make sure that people's bodies are ready to handle like the demands of preseason and you want to kind of make sure that you're getting the most out of your players physically um, and then making sure they're physically ready to then, and then you can then focus on like the plays and, and um, more, more of the skill work. But it's, it's definitely a massive, it's definitely a massive um, part of it. Um, I think you probably want to spend at least like the first like 20 minutes um, in, a, in an amateur self court, it's definitely like 20 minutes, definitely just prepping the body to be able to, not only uh, for the session, but it's, it's just a little more long-term as well for making sure they can get through the whole pre-season and then physically they'll be better for it when it comes to um, the season actually kicking off all of that prep work. Because, um, it, again, it, it leads into reducing injury rate um, and things like that. Like, what, how, how much of a focus... Like in, in the club that you you work you're working with Dan, do do you have in in terms of split of physical prep versus um, actual like training to training time? Yeah, so so start of a session, uh, our, our warm up is I, I quite favour like a like a warm up circuit if you get that. So instead of like the classic guys stood on a try line doing some dynamics, giving the old ready ready up kind of thing, you know, like yeah, when, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. when we were like kids, that was kind of the done thing. But now. We sort of set up, starts off with like a little bit of proprioception. So some hopping, yeah. changing direction, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mixing it with some sort of change of paces and stuff like that as well. So it's just like a nice little sort of square shape in the end. And yeah, it's got some yeah, room yeah. for dynamic stretches and change of directions and stuff like that. So get them through that sort of between six and eight times. Then we have like a nice group dynamic stretch, you know, lots of uh, isometric holds and stuff like that to, to get that blood held in the muscle, get that sort of flow of movement and stuff like that for as well. So all in all, probably a warm up, And then we do like a little bit of a handling, but like a contact readiness handling. So I call them Fiji grids, kind of like a little something I've sort of adapted and, and stolen a bit from Ben Ryan, where you set out small little yeah, grid. Ben Ryan's two, class. Yeah, two defenders in there with like a, a bib tucked into the waistband or whatever, just moving the ball around them. If you get tackled to the floor, still in possession of the ball, you swap out straight away, they get the ball off you and go again. Just trying to score tries on the corners. You're just keeping the ball moving for sort of 60 seconds at a time. Probably do like five rounds of that. So all in all, a, a warm-up takes us between, yeah, about 20 minutes, 25 minutes tops. Yeah. But we've hit like all those key areas. We've done a bit of skill development. We've done, um, you know, got a bit of proprioception stuff in there, which is, you know, going to help their feedback and feed forward for their body in terms of that maintenance and preparation and in that sort of warm-up because of a few little change of speed and stuff like that you've got a little bit of sort of readiness in terms of uh, an anaerobic demand of a session because that way I feel confident that I can go into a higher intensity you know because like you say we only have an hour and a half I feel like after that 20 minutes I can go into something higher intensity for 25 minutes 30 minutes and then we can split into something to finish off in something low key as you know forwards and back split like a real skill focus so we can go preparation sort of half an hour or so and maybe just playing a game just literally a game with a couple of sort of development areas we need to work on and then 20 minutes half an hour splits forwards and backs and then we can maybe come back together sort of 10 minutes at the end to do some some set plays if we just want to touch on our readiness like that in terms of that mental state for for sort of running our plays and stuff like that really so yeah I think so that's of an hour and a half session so yeah nearly a third of that session I'm using to develop those kind of things because like you say I think it's 
it's essential to be honest. Um, and I think as well, like, a really good point for pre-season, especially this year, is that kind of thing because, like I yeah. said, we're starting on Tuesday. It's gonna, the pitches are going to be. I know we've had a bit of rain recently, but the pitches are going to be firm. We're, we're training throughout summer rather than towards the end of summer. So there's yeah. going to be a lot of hard ground there. There's going to be a lot of those kind of impact injuries that are going to come. You know what it's like. People turn yeah. up in trainers or do they turn up in their moles? Then out of nowhere, you'll see some big hulk in second row wearing his 21 mil stud still, even though it's like sunbaked and rock hard. And I'm like looking at him like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. No. Yeah. So you get those kind of things. I don't think there's an issue with segregating training either as well. So like if there are guys that like you say have come back from a, a big summer, they've been an IB for, you know, uh, <laughs> rocking the beers and all that. Uh, and I don't think there's any issue with sort of saying, right, our guys who are kind of at that, that readiness level, you guys can do the sort of eight reps in this drill. The guys who aren't there yet, do your four reps and take a lot of rest between them. Let, let's like you say get you back to that level because there's nothing yeah. worse, like you say, being chucked in at the deep end straight away and you vomit or something like that, session one of pre-season. Because there's, yeah. kind of, there's that conception yeah. where people are like, oh yeah, you know, you get it, you know, you've worked hard, you're getting out of there. But actually... Your recovery is going to be longer if, if you're not yeah, hitting that preparation level, like you say, and you're going straight back into it. So there's all those kind of things, really. I mean, what would be sort of like your sort of three or five kind of top tips for for guys and girls hitting preseason, coming back to preseason this year? So like if if you've like done nothing, like I'm assuming like you you have obviously haven't been able to access the gym, yeah. um, like you haven't been doing as much running, you've kind of just been relaxing. I'd say um obviously take it take it slow don't think that you go into your first week and you're gonna just do the hours of training and then you're gonna be back up to speed um everything is gonna be everything's gonna be gradual probably gonna take like a month or even longer to get back to even the kind of levels of fitness that you're kind of used to for yourself Mm -hmm. um so you definitely want to ease like the amount of gymming that you're doing the amount of running that you're doing um don't feel like because you're not able to do straight away what you were you were able to do before that yeah that you, that you don't get like disheartened from from that because it will it will just come back in time um so that would be that would be the key thing just pay, have a bit have a bit of patience but just keep slowly look to increase the amount of um, work that you're doing over time um and then you'll get to a point where and yeah then then the next thing is um recovery and nutrition most like i think one of the most like, underrated things when it comes to especially in a, in a kind of um, a rugby sphere as well because i think in a rugby sphere everyone everyone loves the gym like everyone like, <laughs> loves, or people go to train like, everyone loves that side of things but people don't uh, underestimate how how much of a factor like your nutrition when it comes to getting the most out of your training sessions and like recovering and the big thing is is um is sleep is like mm-hmm. sleep is sleep is massive and i think it was, it was a study i was reading that making sure you you get um you get like your seven to nine hours of like good like good quality sleep a night is is as effective as like taking like a, te- a test booster like in terms yeah, of it's that, that growth hormone release isn't yeah, it yeah exactly yeah so and that, obviously as a rugby a rugby lad you're, you're trying to you're trying to keep, keep that muscle so Making sure you're even yeah, you're sleeping correctly, because then again that even impacts your ability to train well, um, and, 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 and things like that. So that's yeah, that's a that's a massive thing. But I think more so than other seasons, it's going to be the preparedness for contact, which is yeah. going to be which is going to be which is going to be massive. Because 
I, I can't even I can't remember what I don't, I don't know how a tackle feels like to be honest. Like, <laughs> I, I, don't know, I, I can't imagine I'm paying a full uh, a full, full full eighty minutes like with making loads of tackles. So and obviously concussion as well. So like prehab work in terms of like banded neck work, weighted neck work, um, stuff like to prepare yourself for, um, for like whiplash and things like that. And slowly again, getting used to hitting people, getting getting well acquainted with the ground. Um, so just even like introducing like small contact, even like wrestling kind of um, movements um, in, in training. Like, again, slowly before you even go into up me personally i don't think i'll be looking to introduce full-blown like contact um until maybe this season probably um maybe towards like the july kind of kind of phase like would be like probably the first time that like, maybe some like full-on like shoulder and shoulder like taking away pads and things like that or mm. basically uncontrolled um like game scenario kind of contact i wouldn't be looking to introduce that until like way further down you want to control that as much as possible and increase that exposure because people just won't they literally you you won't be ready for it <laughs> like you, you, yeah, won't, you, know, you won't be ready for it it's been crazy man that the, the kids have been coming back so i've been been down at the club watching a lot of the, the junior training and stuff like that mm -hmm. and you know it's like yeah even because for, for kids that haven't had that long-term exposure to contact and they're still learning it's having yeah. to like learn those things like how to fall again even and, and stuff like that you know to it's it's you don't realize that how how long it really has been you know it kind of yeah. blurs into one doesn't it like we always say time moves fast but you know those days have still happened and every day that goes past you lose that little bit of muscle memory slightly you lose yeah. those, those kind of natural bits of proprioception in your body for falling for stepping across mm -hmm. and landing you know yeah. i mean even things like taking a high ball and landing you know guys are going to be out of sync with that you know it's going to be like yeah. really interesting to see them getting that that sort of rhythm back you know what i mean yeah. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, and I think, uh, so the other thing, so you've got nutrition, like recovery, um, preparedness for contact. The other, yeah, I think because we've had that kind of um, layoff as well, um, you're gonna, you'll be able to actually have a bit more focus on getting yourself, getting yourself ready. Because normally, when when you're playing back to back season, they, everything just like almost rolls into one. I think mm -hmm. from when you play back-to-back -back season, I think the time off from when you're like last game to when you need to start thinking about pre-season, you're only like a month off, or something like that. It's not even. Yeah. It's yes. Yeah, it's, it's it's not it's not that yeah it's not that long at all. So you'll be able to like be able to come up with like a proper plan of attack to make sure that you don't get you don't get hurt. That's that's a benefit as well of um of having well COVID a little bit of a blessing to be able to yeah be, yeah. It's exciting, man, because like I say, we're going to have, what, May, June, July, probably some pre-season games at the end of July and then in August, and then hopefully back to a regular season in September. I mean, when have you ever been at an amateur club and had like a full three months for pre-season? Yeah, so exactly. The S&C side of things, and for me as well, considering because I've I got down here in August and we haven't really had any consistent training, it's been, you know, broken up by lockdowns and things like that you know it's actually going to be really good to spend that much time with the guys and get to know them that bit more and, and stuff like that really it's quite exciting to to really get our teeth into it all because yeah it would have been you know if, if we had come in and played in makes i know that option's been there but a lot of clubs down here have been mad keen on it so i think um there's a real consciousness it seems down here for that physical readiness and stuff like that as well mm -hmm. so, so it's quite like a you know 
a lot of people down here are out running and stuff like that. It seems like quite a healthy part of the world. You know, it's got that kind of beach culture, hasn't it? Of yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that, which has kind of played into it a little bit, really. And I think that's something that, uh, yeah, I hope a lot of clubs are kind of buying into a little bit. There's nothing wrong with playing in May, you know, if, you, if we're doing things right. But yeah, I just hope everyone's going to take advantage of that longer time because I think, if anything, it's going to make the quality of of sort of community rugby, you know, level five below, it's going to make it better, if anything, that extended time to be prepared and ready. It's going to, mm-hmm. it's going to create some standards, man. But one thing I want to ask you about while you're here as well, I think it's always interesting is mm-hmm. looking at the elite game a little bit now. Yeah. Obviously the way it's been, it's gone over the last sort of 15 years or so, really, maybe last 20 years even, has been gearing towards this kind of big push on size and power and stuff like that. And we see a lot of people you know, make comments like, oh, players are getting too, too big and things like that. But what's your kind of opinion on all that? And where do you see phys- physically the game going in sort of like five, five to ten years? Yeah, I think um, I think we we hit our peak in terms of like strength and size. I think of where rugby can go. Maybe a couple of maybe a couple of seasons ago, um, maybe two or two or three seasons ago. I think we're kind of um, obviously jo- Jonah Lomu coming in was what kicked like kicked off like every everyone everyone just needs to get massive now and get strong. And then there's been a gradual increase in like the physical preparedness for players. And I think now we're li- kind of um, because of the they're trying to change the rules of the game as well. They're trying to make it less boring, more exciting. So I think there's more advantage now to be a little bit lighter, um, but more powerful. And because the there's more ball in play, like mm. that's another factor in, in turn. You don't want to be too heavy because it, it just physically is even more demanding to be able to carry that around for for for, for a whole game. And again, that's why, especially front row, front row is not even expected to, to last more than 60 minutes purely because of their size, that physically they just won't be able to like, produce quality and performance like more than like more than 60 minutes, apart from like your freaks like Mako Vinopolo, who can who can play like a full 80 and still like still be on A game all the time. So yeah, personally I think um gearing towards Again, it's just the focus is just on on power more than more than size. So I, I found I think what they found with um, when players get that big, um, like the, the injury rate was was like starting to like starting to creep up a little bit, and and that was wasn't as advantageous to to teams. Um, obviously for obvious reasons, not being able to. Um, not being able to play and stuff, and then you find that it's the big guys are a bit lighter, being able to evade contact and things like that. That's where there's a bit more of an advantage. Um, before, I think there's the heavy focus on it's all about the head-on collisions and trying to beat people up and things like that. So that's why getting big was such a and strong was such a like push so so much. But now it's it's, it's more yes, I think it's more sought after if you can get a player who can avoid contact. A bit more powerful, skip out of tackles. Not necessarily the guy who's the biggest lump who can, yeah, he can. He can. It's, it helps, but I think it's kind of shifting away from that as a kind of a main, a main focus. I feel. I don't know what what are your thoughts on like how you feel um, the game is going. In that sense. I'm kind of glad that that's what you've said because I've been a bit of a critic. Maybe the last sort of five years certainly maybe a decade or so that rugby got 
and you mentioned there being a little bit boring and the, the game the rules being changed to try and make it a bit more attacking. But it was almost like it was it was about that that size. I think guys who've come on the last few years are like someone like Cheslin Colby, who's that like you said, that smaller guy, but he's so mm-hmm. evasive that he's avoiding contact and he's one of the most exciting players in the world. Um, I think the last World Cup I thought was a, a really good example of guys like um Muramatsu on the wing for Japan as well. He, he's quite tall, but he's, he's a slender guy. Yeah. And I think that's always so much more exciting to watch um, than some, I always use Georgian author as the example when I make this point, but he's a, he's a big guy on the wing. Um, and he's kind of, he's, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a good player, but he's kind of a battering ram. And you don't really want to watch that, certainly as a fan. So I think it's, um, I, I, you look forward to seeing that kind of more evasive game. It's almost like going back to the, the pre-professional days where it was yeah. like the backs yeah. were the, the like skinny guys who were quick and would be evasive. Mm. And then the, and it's almost like the shortcut for success in professional rugby was just to get everyone big, getting big and strong in the gym. And then I think we've come maybe over that hill, like you said, and we're like learning now that, okay, that, that power that is, is the important thing. So I think there's an important distinction to be made between like strength and power, yeah. they are similar, but they are different. And mm-hmm. it's that speed aspect that is almost it's more impressive, I think, than strength, but it certainly makes a more exciting product to watch. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah I think with you having so with you having so many people on their feet nowadays as well, you know, defensively, you, you know, depending on the type of team, everyone has slightly different tactics. But, um, you know, let's say that it's a team that has a lot of people on feet, kind of like how, how Saracens would defend, England would defend, you know, and then pressing really hard between those 15-metre channels. It isn't advantageous to just be big and strong because if both teams are big and strong, like you say, it's just a battle of the gain line and it gets into that kind of state where both teams cancel each other out and we'll see, you know, probably goes to a lot more kicking kind of game then, which is what people, you know, call boring, which I think is what you tend, tend to see a little bit more in test match rugby now. So actually having players who have the ability to avoid that contact or at least get to a side of a contact because of their agility or, or their speed to then get an arm free and play an offload, that is a much more important way to play. Like France have started getting there again now. You see, like even with their pick and go game, it's never just a pick and barge unless they're close to the try line. If they're doing it in the middle of the field, it's a pick, get to a side, oh, little lift, you know, and, and La Rochelle do that really, really well. Uh, so, and that's what's make, you know, it's what makes them exciting to watch because... We know nowadays is if you can score because it's going to be a two on one or a three on one somewhere. So that's much more advantageous, like you say, Dave, than just yeah, than piling in. Piling in now doesn't doesn't work as much, and I think it did for a little while. If you could dominate the gain line, you'd be going forward, and that's all you needed to do. And eventually, you'd find a hole and score. Whereas now, yeah, that hole is a lot harder to find. So you've got to kind of make it with a bit of evasion, or or even you know, even the ability to chip over the top is useless unless you're really quick and agile to chase onto it and and get there before the opposition do. So I think that's a really key point there. I think it's, yeah, I think we are. We're going to get away from being as big. You probably see like the kilogram per guy drop a little bit, I imagine, and, and a little bit more, like you say, explosivity and, and a bit more, you know, uh, anaerobic work will become really big. I mean, England absolutely yeah. thrashed that kind of anaerobic work, don't they? You know, Eddie really championed yeah. that, I think, with his staff. So, yeah, I think that's that's the way it's probably going. I think you're pretty, pretty bang on, to be honest. Yeah. I think um, the other thing is, um, is with player welfare, because um, that's become like a really important um, uh, like talking point within within rugby, especially, but like just in sport in general. And because you want to reduce, you want to reduce concussion, you want to reduce injury rate. And then also the lifespan of a rugby player isn't, uh, especially at a top level, isn't that isn't that long? 
we won't be playing for as much of, as much of that time as possible. And that whole combative nature, like George North, J like Jamie Roberts style of um, of playing, is just it's not conducive like for for players long term trying to get into the game, reducing like rates of concussion. So I think that's 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 another factor I think which has played into why um, why you know, why that in world rugby like we're kind of like going away from or definitely not northern hemisphere going away from that um, that heavy that heavy style of playing. And the second thing which I think is also factored is just making um, making rugby more attractive as a product um, as well. Um, people who are new to rugby definitely prefer watching the sevens format over the 15s format and one of the main reasons is because of that evasiveness the space and the explosiveness um, and, and, all, and all of those things so trying to get the 15s game to be um, like a bit closer towards um, towards like the way sevens is 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 something which as 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 a as a product which is definitely going to I think benefit and help people that watch the game and get interested in interested in the game so yeah i think that yeah those are like my kind of thoughts on why i think um it's gonna it's gone that way as well yeah absolutely you know that that yeah that easy access products it's like anything really isn't it it's like it's what's so great about about football and why it's so popular around the world is because it's such an easy product to understand. I think sometimes you look at it like sevens is kind of like a musical uh, and 15 aside is like a really complex mm. drama stage play. Do you know what I mean? Where you have to watch every single mm. second of it to understand what's going on. Whereas a musical, you know, you can watch when the song and dance is happening. That's the guy making the break and score yeah. in the try. And then you can switch off a little bit for the dialogue because you're just there for the musical yeah. numbers anyway. Exactly. Do you know? It's kind of like, kind of like that kind of thing, yeah. isn't it? You know, um, I'm aware, you know, you're a busy guy. We don't, we don't want to keep you too long because it's Saturday as well. You know, people are listening. It will be like middle of the week next week, but it's Saturday evening. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, there's this good Saturday night telly yeah, yeah. at some point on, I'm sure. But but yeah, just a couple more things I wanted to ask actually is, is I think I've seen some of the stuff you've done, but but for you, like working with, with younger athletes and stuff like that, what's that like for you in, t in terms of how do you change, change things up? Because I think a lot of the time as well, like, a lot of time you see people who work with young athletes, parents are paying money for their kids to come and do this extra yeah. thing outside of football training or tennis training or whatever it might be. And like the, the expectation a lot of the time is like, you know, that they're going to come back with biceps the size of, you know, size of a professional yeah, guy yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So how do you approach things working with young athletes in general? And, and what have you, what do you do with them? Really? So like working, for, first of all, you kind of want to get rid of like the, the misconceptions of like, our work like training is going to stunt your growth. That's 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 not a thing. Um, but yeah, working with young athletes, it's, it's just all, all about getting like the fundamentals. So just a from just like a good strength base, like a basic strength base. So um, just so have like they they can apply force and then being able to like improve the mechanics, things like that. Um, so I can they can absorb force and just making them. Like in like injury proof, so they can just enjoy the sport they play. Um, but then again, it does depend on whether how seriously again that they're take they're trying to like take their sport and, and things like that. But what you want to do is like uh, definitely with younger athletes, we just want to make the process a bit more, definitely more enjoyable. You don't want to be like drumming home like oh. Uh, you're doing this macro cycle, this music, like all of that kind of going to the nitty gritty of um, of everything. You just want to make that whole process enjoyable whilst 
getting down the, uh, like getting a strong like athletic fundamental base going so that's like my kind of approach with um um, with, with young athletes, especially if they don't know specifically what um, what sport they they they, they, they want to play, you just want to you just want to make somebody who's like a bit more more of an all round athlete. Really, you don't wanna you don't specialize too much, um, and yeah, never yeah, just making it enjoyable. It's the kind of like the kind of approach you wanna um, you kind of wanna have with have with kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's absolutely the key, isn't it? Like because. Yeah, because who knows what a kid who's you know between the age of sort of ten and fifteen is really even gonna gonna specialize in. So it's just yeah about having fun. Because I think if someone stays fun, they're more likely to stay in anyway. It's something like we sort of push, and what I'll be pushing with our junior coaches here is yeah, the more fun we make something, the more likely more likely people are to stay doing it. As soon as something becomes unenjoyable, we know this from like being back at school back in the day. If something was slightly unenjoyable, you start to zone out that little bit, or you you struggle to you know be passionate about it. So I think that's really interesting. I, I don't know if you had any anything big left to ask Dave, any big topics or anything like that? Or? I've got one selfish request since we've got this platform. <laughs> it's obviously, um, I've been doing a lot of um, more aerobic training pretty much throughout the entirety of lockdown. The gyms were closed for a big portion of it. Mm. And what I've sort of said like, today, I'm going to do my last sort of like 5K run of like, that's my, I'm training to get a good 5K time. And I want to work on like, getting quicker and that building that sort of power what would be your advice in terms of sort of like lifts in the gym to be focusing on and breaking up a week in terms of how many gym sessions how many like on pitch speed sessions of like working on that acceleration uh, and the technique of running i mean what's your advice there i mean i guess it's applicable to a lot of other guys who are going into that pre-season now as well yeah 100 percent um first with with getting quicker um a lot of people always want, want to ask, oh, what do I need to be doing in the gym to get quicker? The, the quickest way to get quicker is to actually just do more more sprinting. Um, so making sure that you're you're sprinting enough, like during during the week. And obviously, you've got to manage that load so it's not impacting you're you're able to recover and it's not impacting on your gym sessions and stuff like that. And like doing some like plyometrics and um, some yeah plyometrics with with that as well um and running mechanics uh, running mechanics work is probably be my best advice in terms of trying to trying to get quicker and then you the stuff you do in the gym is to effectively is just to supplement supplement that um it's the same thing with when it comes to or how do you get better at at the sport of rugby a lot of people try and they think oh yeah snc snc is growing like oh what do i need to be doing in the gym like first and foremost, you just got to play the sport. Um, that's what's actually going to like upskill you the most, and everything else is just um, is just to push that um, to push that further. So yeah, in terms of um, if you want to get better at your sport, do like make sure you're turning up to training, do more of it. If you want to get faster, uh, make sure you're doing enough 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 work. Um, but also yeah, just make sure that you're gradually increasing the amount you're doing, and that you're not doing too much too soon. Um, and just yeah, plan it out, like, plan it out properly. Yeah, that'll probably be um, yeah my advice when it comes to like yeah getting yeah, getting prepped for 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 preseason. And then you you asked mentioned strength as well. Um, with the strength is a is, is a bit of a funny one because um, you don't wanna you don't wanna be like strength training all the time. Um, thing is you, you don't actually get because strength training is actually like so physically demanding on the body that. Um, if you strength train too much, 
A, you won't over a long period of time, you'll start to get diminishing return from always strength training. And B as well, it's just going to hinder your um, ability to recover from like from your session. So the way that I've kind of gone about getting getting stronger, you know, in a pre-season format, you've only got like one shot to really increase your increase your strength. Um, so you kind of go through like a preparedness phase to prep the body for a strength phase. You've got four weeks to like get as strong as you can. And that's like your kind of standard for that. You've set yourself that pre-season, which you're trying to maintain through the rest of it and through the whole season. So your opportunity to get stronger is that if you're playing back-to-back seasons is effectively don't try and improve your strength throughout the whole season because it's just, it's not going to work. It's just going to hinder um, your ability to play well and, and stuff like that. So yeah, give it a good shot in early in the, in the pre-season and then, um, and, and then look to next season, try and increase that strength again. Yeah, would be my advice. Yeah, people always get people always get stuck in that bucket, don't they? Like it's like November, December, and they're still like doing big lifts. And again, like we were saying earlier on, at that point, you just got to be pure maintenance. Like that's what I'd say to people as well. Like you say, that is such a key bit of advice. One shot. If you if you haven't got your lifts any bigger or you haven't really got you know much more muscle mass put on, just accept it for what it is and, and work on you know the fact that you've got to make yeah. use of what you've got. Because like I said, I see people like when I've been in teams before, like October, November time, and they're still doing like big what you know four rep sets and i'm like jesus mm. man and, and you see they'll come in on a, on a thursday or whatever and maybe even on a saturday and they have one or two weeks where they don't look at their top level and in the back of your mind you're thinking a little bit like i kind of know why i can see this because you've been overworking you, you're, you're tired you're fatigued constantly mm. rather than just being being yeah you know what i'm my strength's only an eight out of ten this year but my wellness week to week, my you know fit match fitness is is a nine or a ten every week because like you say yeah. I'm recovering well or whatever. Whereas if I chase yeah, yeah. chase maybe getting yeah maybe getting my strength to a nine out of ten, but my match fitness is going to be like a seven or an eight now, which which is just mm-hmm. opens the door for you know bad performances, injuries, you know, and and just general sort of lack exactly of progress that. in other areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, man. La- last thing I want to get you with then because I think it's always interesting to sort of find out what people what people are going on and stuff like that is. Is you know, is there anything that you're reading at the moment, book-wise, listening to, watching on TV that's really sort of changing the way you see things, or or anything in general, or, or talking to anyone who's maybe changed the way you looked at stuff? Um, I think uh, content which has like really like helped me is um, is science science for sport. They have um, they have like podcasts. They yeah. they also yeah they've got um. You'd probably be following them on, on social as well. Yeah, we quoted um, them the other week on. A, I quoted some of the research they posted out the other week when we were doing a pretty heavy topic. So, so they're really useful to refer to a lot for sure. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, they always, they always, um, definitely the podcast. They always give like interesting because they always got people from around the world with their like kind of views on like what's happening in the kind of just things in mind like ways of like doing. There's there's many like many ways to skin a cat when it comes to um, like trying to get like di- different physical attributes. So that's 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 been like really interesting to listen to some of the, some of that content. So I'd, yeah, I'd say yeah, science for sport is um, is like a really I'd say is an essential tool that any any like kind of fitness um, SNC coach should definitely be like listening to um, to get an insight into like what's currently like being done in the field to try and mm-hmm. advance it. As well, not just like about um, like what's done in the past, but yeah, what's like live kind of um, um, 
guess, but different new methodologies that are being tested out at the moment. So yeah, that's that's always yeah, some interesting stuff on that. Sweet. Just before that, just before David hits his his end record button and does all his you know his uh, IT guy stuff, and we can carry on shooting a little bit before we before we all go our ways for the evening. Is yeah. is it where can people find you online if, if they want to get in touch or see what you're doing or check out your content? Where where are you? Yeah, so I'm on I'm on Instagram, um, am butcher. Um, you can find you can find me there. I post all of like my client success stories, like a bit of motivational uh, motivational content, like some bits of like training advice, like general general advice for anyone who's looking to um, like just get a bit more athletic, put put a bit of putting muscle on, lose lose some fat, all that kind of stuff. But it's definitely yeah. Give it, give it a check, uh, check it out, and uh, hopefully, like you enjoy that content. So, yeah, awesome. Well, well, thanks a lot for coming along. I think there's definitely something for everyone to take from that, no matter what their goals are, you know, and, and what they mm. want to sort of get out of things. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm sure we'll definitely get you on at some point. And if, if you know, we'll jump on some stuff you're doing as well. It was really interesting. Uh, obviously, we, we follow on, on Instagram, and there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of interesting stories on there and some some pretty cool stuff to see. Um, and I think uh, if you want to check out some good six pack abs as well, because you won't see any of that from Neil Dave. <laughs> so there's a picture. There's a picture posted recently, looking well, looking uh, looking well, man. <laughs> it's not dropped uh, off anyway. It's not dropped off. I mean, yeah, my... no, no, it has. It has. I've, I've... I've been blessed. I've been blessed with a six pack from birth. So yeah, no. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, uh, oh, fantastic. Really appreciate, really appreciate your time and stuff. And yeah, look, look oh, forward yeah. to seeing, uh, checking things out and seeing, and, and obviously me and you, I'm sure we'll keep in touch about how things are progressing yeah. with the FCC at the club. Sure, That'd be great. Sure, man. What you're doing there, man. All right. Yeah, awesome. Stop, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Been a pleasure. Nice. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I really oh. enjoyed it. Last thing I want to get, I forgot. Yeah. What's your favourite ice cream flavour? I can't believe I forgot that. Uh, everyone, we come on, we have to ask this. What was your favourite? Ice cream um, has to has to be um, Cornish vanilla. Ooh, a traditional nice. man. <laughs> yeah, no, genuinely, it's the, it's, it's the best. It's the best tasting. Um, it's the best tasting ice cream. Yeah, Cornish vanilla, mate. That's, We've got a great vanilla nice. here at the Honiton Honiton ice cream shop. So if you're ever down, but we'll get you one. We'll get you sorted out. Yeah, mate. Oh, I love that. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> all right man nice one cheers decent thanks a lot to uh, Ordice for joining us for this week's show our first ever guest pretty exciting for both of us we uh, really enjoyed it um, I hope you did too um, like he mentioned there you can find him on Instagram at am.culture um, as well as sort of just check for our page and we'll try and link you to, to Ordice and what he's doing anywhere we can um, yeah I hope, hope everyone's found something really useful from that I really enjoyed it and I think uh, yeah there's a lot to take from that Dave yeah, definitely. Obviously, asked him for a bit of advice personally, but I think I think it's a good, um, yeah, some good advice. Like you say, I think rugby traditionally, like well, not rugby, but you know, sort of gym culture, it's a lot of it's bodybuilding based, and people who go you wanting to go to train to get better at rugby, they end up getting that kind of bodybuilding advice, which isn't really compatible with rugby. So, um, so hopefully, you know, so maybe some young lads listening or. Uh, anyone who's like, you know, aspiring to train is going to hear that and go, I'll change my training and you know, not not be too concerned about some of the myths that he dispels. But yeah, he, and a really nice guy. Really, really nice guy as well. Enjoy talking to him. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for listening. I uh, really appreciate you uh, and your viewership, your listenership, if you want to call it that. 
um, it's helping us get forward. Just a quick nudge. Um, we do still have time on our crowdfunder. If people want to donate and help us get this thing off the ground, there's still a few weeks left of that, as well as um, also there are still spots to be our main and sedentary shirt sponsors or secondary. Secondary, secondary. not sedentary. Yeah, secondary, <laughs> uh, secondary shirt sponsor. So I give us a shout. Sedentary. The shirts aren't going anywhere. Once the, once the logo is on, it is there. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a, it's an inanimate object, isn't it? It's not, a, it's not living. But yeah, no, uh, hit us up for your Instagram uh, at the 99s Rugby as well as uh, www.the99srugby.com if you want to get involved. Contact us through there and uh, let us know if you're interested in sponsoring. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch, our email address 99s.7s at gmail.com. Sevens is spelled with letters. Um, and also shout out to our partners, the Arda Collective. They supplied this week's lovely beer to us, the Pale of Two Cities. Um, not to be confused with the aforementioned Garfield book. Um, so you can find them at uh, www.yardacollective.co.uk. Uh, enter the code 99rugby24 on an order over £10. You get 5% off, and some of the money comes to us. So it's a win win. And there's also, they do some really good stuff. I ordered some kombucha, if that's your thing, delicious. And I got like a, a, a non-alcoholic version. I think it's like Aperol. I had some Aperol spritz you may have seen on our page uh, on uh, Friday afternoon. And uh, very tasty. Highly recommend. So, um, yeah, go check them out and help us out that way too. All right. Well, I've been Dan. He is David. We've had a great time this week. Uh, look forward to hearing people's feedback and uh, have a great rest of the week, everyone. Peace. <laughs>